If Omicron falls flat, that hysteria, that fear loop is going to fall below this critical threshold. Um, and they're going to have no choice but to pivot to something because in order to reset the balance sheets of nations, you need hysteria to stay high. So if there was a cyber pandemic that happened, um, everything got hacked, it forced the whole system to shut down. They had to temporarily pause it for a week. And now in order to get it re-going again, what we need to do is we need more security. So if everybody logs in with this new digital ID and will replenish their account with these central bank digital currencies, boom, we got the new system kind of going again. We don't have time to sit back on our laurels and just say like, I'm gonna wait for it to fizzle out, then I'm gonna build a better world. You need to get secure before that tidal wave fucking hits. Welcome to episode 61 of the Wake Up Podcast. This is episode or show number two of the Fuck Your Great Reset series. I'm joined once again by Joel, untapped, by Mark Moss, and by Laser Hoddle. And once again, we give the finger to not only the, not only the statists, but the bureaucrats, to the central planners, to the Klaus Schwab's of the world, to the World Economic Forums, and to all the lizards behind red curtains that think they can transform and distill humanity and complex individuals into some sort of numbers on a spreadsheet and a little model that they can push around. The original show is actually the most listened to episode of the Wake Up Podcast, so I wonder whether we're going to break some new records with this. This was a fantastic conversation. We went into all sorts of tangents, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, there's a few new memes that will probably come out of this show as well. So I hope you enjoy it. I'm not going to give away too much. I'll let you listen to it. As usual, follow each of the guys um, on their own socials. They've got incredible content. And be sure to check out episode, sorry, not episode, but edition four of the Bitcoin Times, which is now out. It's live. All of the Medium articles should be live as well, so you can read it there for free. You can even download the PDF for free at bitcointimes.news and check out both Brandon Quidham's piece, um, which you would have heard about on the last episode of Wake Up, and Fire Bitcoin Teleportation, which you're going to fucking love. It'll challenge you. It'll make you view Bitcoin beyond just money and economics on a far greater scale. So I'll see you all on the next episode. Thank you once again for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. And we're live with another episode of the Wake Up Podcast. And I have a series of guests back with me for a round two of what is actually the most downloaded podcast on Wake Up so far um, called Fuck Your Great Reset. Um, so this is round two of that. I've got Mark Moss, I've got Joel Untapped, and I've got Laser Huddle with me. Uh, gentlemen, thank you again for joining. My, uh, my pleasure being being back on with all of you again. I love it. Absolutely, absolutely. So we, we may or may not have Marty joined. So we'll see if he if he jumps into the room. If he does, great. If he doesn't, then we're going to save him for number three. So anyway, without further ado, uh, me, Laser, and Untapped were having a bit of a preamble uh, while we're waiting um, beforehand, and I want to just, in the spirit of making this conversation as organic as possible. Laser, I want to throw it over to you to, to kind of take us through, you said you'd figured something out since last time. Um, so I won't take the words out of your mouth. I'll let you 
give the um the frame here and we can start there and then we can get into all the other stuff that we've got listed thanks uh Svetsky. it's great to be back together uh absolutely this is a good, really awesome group and uh last time we talked we we were sort of canvassing the situation that the world was in um and the thesis that i laid out at that point was that um the West had entered, or the, the world rather, had entered the, the, the greatest sovereign default of all time. Uh, the balance sheets of nations became completely unserviceable. And so the state began the highly risky business of, of um, resetting those balance sheets. Um, now, while that's happening, you need a world, you, you know, you, you need the world to be essentially in, in a lockdown state. Um, so that you can uh, use the life savings of the world to bail out state. Um, and while you're at it, you know, governments tend to aim at upgrading the state. So they want, you know, they want better statecraft. Um, I contend that central banks went into China in the 70s and they've essentially raised up a superpower, developed the next form of totalitarian governance, a kind of high tech communism. And now they're exporting that to the West, or depending on your point of view, the West might be importing that. Okay, so we're trying to stay competitive with that high-tech statecraft that's being uh, developed in China. We're trying to leapfrog them, um, and, and so the West is being um, upgraded in the likeness of China to compete on a brand new playing field. Now, when we last had this conversation, the world was knee-deep in the hysteria loop of the COVID fear spell, right? And um, so, so, so that people were completely absorbed in that. And it wasn't clear how long that was going to go on. You know, the, the grift of coming up with a new variant over and over and keeping the fear alive with boosters, that looked very potent from our point of view back then. Fast forward to now and um, I, I, you know, I've been on pods in the, the last few weeks, and the, the thing I've been saying is a lot depends on Omicron. If Omicron falls flat, then that hysteria, that fear loop is going to fall below this critical threshold. Um, and they're going to have no choice but to pivot to something, because in order to reset the balance sheets of nations, you need hysteria to stay high. Um, and and I, I contend that they'll need it to stay high this whole decade. So um, if people stop being scared, they start feeling empowered, they, you know, and, and, and this COVID imperialism starts to lose legs, lose um, its, its force, then watch out because something has to come after that. Now, if you think about that goal of the Great Reset to, to, to basically upgrade the West in the likeness of Chinese governance, that high-tech totalitarianism branded in social justice, then you, you can understand it has different pillars, right? So you need digital identity, you need movement passports, you need internet passports, and you need programmable digital fiat. Okay, so you need all those things to get that world where it's this perfect digital prison. So COVID started normalizing movement passports. Now, fa fast forward to where we are today, the COVID narrative seems to be losing hold. And so what are we seeing now in its place? And first of all, you're seeing digital identity being pushed through the IRS now saying, if you wanna view your returns, you're gonna to have to scan your face. 
Um, you have a handful of states saying they're launching digital driver's licenses, which are, will be based on biometrics. Um, you have states talking about digital identity for voting. So now you have this normalization of movement passports with COVID and the column for digital identity is, is being pushed out. At the same time, you have this um, sudden fear mongering about war with Russia. Um, and it's being pushed across the mainstream media and, and from the state itself, from the military. Um, just today you had um, uh, Homeland Security sort of warning of a cyber attack from uh, Russia. And of course, if you've paid attention to the World Economic Forum, you know that they've been foreshadowing a cyber pandemic. Now, I don't know about you, but I just think I look at it through the lens of COVID and I think, okay, internet false flag leads to an internet lockdown leads to internet passports. Okay. And so there you have every column of high-tech totalitarianism being normalized in the West through catastrophe. Um, so, so that's kind of where I think we are, but there's a bigger piece that I've realized um, just recently uh, behind the why of it, because a lot of the criticism I get is, hey, Laser, central banks can't control the world, right? They control creation of money, they control creation of credit, but they can't make all this stuff happen. The governments have to you know, willingly do it, why would they do that? And I think the insight that I realized is, no, central banks don't have to control the world. All they have to do is attach the creation of credit to the emergence of a global state and disguise it in crisis management. And so I started looking in data and I saw uh, the, the IMF, the SDR, which is this new bucket of uh, of money. Um, it's a backing bucket that came out in 1971, funny enough. Um, and, uh, you know, its adoption was very um, slow in, in, in the 1970s and 1980s and even 2000s. But they attached it to um, vaccine distribution as part of COVID. And if you look at the distribution of SDRs, it's gone parabolic. Um, in, in billions, um, in, in, in 1970, it was like nine billion. Um, in, in all of 1970 and 80, it was like 20 billion. In 2009, it was 161 billion. In 2021, nearly 500 billion. Okay. So it's, this, is, this is essentially um, countries, sovereign states, putting SDRs on their balance sheets. One way to think of this is the center of gravity for money printing is being moved from the dollar to the IMF, okay? Now, it's not just nation state, it's also multinational corporations. They're moving easy money, um, they're attaching it to ESGs. So multinational corporations are agreeing to global governance through, you know, behind the, the uh, disguise of environmentalism. So you have countries giving away sovereignty to the IMF. You have multinational corporations giving away sovereignty through ESGs. And then individuals, how are they making individuals follow this? It's through UBI. It's through this idea that we're going to float you through these hard times, um, but you're going to have to, um, uh, uh, you know, basically through vaccine imperialism, sign up for social scoring governance. And, and, and I think that's the key thing is that 
central banks only had to attach credit creation to the immersion of this global state and everyone else, the whole world is addicted to debt. So we're going to just follow them there. Um, and, it, and all they have to do to, to engineer, um, to engineer uh, um, opinion is attach it to crises, various crises. So you can attach SDRs to COVID. You can attach, you know, why are these multinational corporations suddenly answering to a global state now instead of their nation state? Oh, because of environmentalism. You know, why are individuals doing anything and everything um, to, to follow the, the, uh, the COVID narrative? Oh, because of UBI. So it's that credit creation. That's the magic incentive that they're using. And whoever attached, whoever follows that is, is promised deliverance through this decade. If you don't have credit creation through this decade, you're in a hell of a spot. And so that's, that's the revelation that I've had. That's the how. That's the reason why every Western government appears to be following this, even when logic defies these narratives. Why? It's because they're being led by the nose with credit creation. Corporations, governments, and even individuals being led by the nose on, a, on an addiction to debt. It's a deal with the devil. Okay. Uh, a lot to unpack there. Thank you for 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 breaking open the conversation with that so i i've taken a couple notes which i want to touch on but before i do that i want to throw it over to mark or joel because i'm sure um they've either got something to add to that or some some color to, to add yeah i'll I, I i have some to add i mean obviously there's uh so much to, i mean I, I see the same thing um to kind of expand it i think one um you know, the thought of that, that the IMF or uh, the central banks going into China and starting this a long time ago is definitely plausible. I think one thing that maybe Alex and I kind of agree on is that um, I, don't, I don't know if I can really subscribe into a um, elite plan that's been playing out for hundreds of years. Like um, these people, I, I look at things more of like this, uh, like a flock of birds where a flock of birds appear to be flying together, but they didn't sit on the ground and like, Hey, Larry, you go on the left flank and Rob, you're on the right flank. Like they just kind of moved together. And I kind of look at it more like that. Um, but I would agree hundred percent in a sense where I think, and I've been kind of saying that I think there's a coup um, that's been done on the world by bankers, right? The, the bankers have, have taken over the world to that. And um I'm sure uh, you guys have seen like that global public private partnership kind of uh, kind of org chart where like, you know, basically you have the BIS up at the top and then uh, you have like kind of the central banks below that. And then below that is then like these uh, policymakers, which is then the World Economic Forums and um, all those people. Um, so they, they kind of create these policies and then it gets pushed down to like the national governments as like these policy enforcers. So I think that's like one way that I look at it. Um, but you know, I don't know if it's like the 70 year plan that's playing out. That's just now coming to fruition or, um, you know, a lot of my work and thesis has been even looking past just this long-term debt cycle, which laser, I mean, you're saying needs to be reset, which it does. And so, um, whenever you have a long-term debt cycle coming to an end or really any financial crisis for that matter, war is a perfect way to cover that up. And when you have the level of a sovereign default that we have right now, at a level that we've never seen before, um, an enormous size, then it makes sense that maybe we need two <laughs> big wars, one with Russia and China to kind of cover that up. Um, but I also think back um, even bigger 
to like um, the way that the world organizes and the way that people interact with each other and the way that technology changes that. So um, to, you know, the point of technology through, you know, the COVID passports, central bank, digital currencies, digital ID and ESG. I mean, I think we all agree. Those are like the main attack vectors. That's what they're trying to get us to. And that's where, once they can force us to show our phone to get access to life, I mean, then it's kind of like game over. Um, but I think about like uh, the, the counter to that is the technology is also changing the way the world works. Um, so through the last 250 years of the Industrial Revolution, it's caused like this uh, centralization where we've moved into cities and factories and uh, closer and bigger. Uh, but now we're moving, we're sm going smaller. So you know, my team of 15 people is decentralized all over the world. Most businesses are small internet-based business. People are moving into Wyoming and Texas because they can. They don't have to be in the big cities anymore. Moving to other parts of the world. So you kind of have this, uh, I, I'm, I'm looking at these two things that are happening. The world is reorganizing and, and decentralizing. Uh, it's starting to trend that way. But at the same time, centralization is also peaking out. Um, and I think that's kind of where this battle is. And I think uh, back to kind of like... Uh, was it Newton's third law of uh, uh, what is Physics. it? E e yeah, each, 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 you know, e every action has an equal and opposite reaction kind of a thing. And it's almost like uh, the world is like starting to decentralize as they're continuing to centralize. And that the more they squeeze, the more it's being pushed back. And I think that's definitely setting up for the war, um, I guess. So that's just kind of my viewpoint or nuance onto what he said. Uh, obviously, all agreement, but just some just some nuance there. It's great. See, the problem is that with the decentralized revolution, we still have this problem of credit creation, right? Like ever since we ventured in the modern age here, we have this prisoner's dilemma of war, where if you dip your toes into the bucket of credit creation first, you get this short-term impetus that allows you to outcompete in the strategic landscape. Mm -hmm. So now it's led us by the nose further and further to now where it's this drug where we're enslaved to it in competition between nations to the point where it's trying to enslave us globally as one unit beneath this thing, right? And if it wasn't for Bitcoin and it having this, as Setsky's always hammered on, this energy currency thing that connects us back to reality with real discipline, with this adoption curve of a second set of prisoner dilemmas, I don't think we'd ever get off that hamster wheel. We would just go ahead by the nose to this prison. It's that's that one little thing of like, because of this adoption curve with this new prisoner's dilemma, it allows us to actually outpace potentially the competitive edge of those trying to use credit creation to enslave us. Because now no longer are we subject to them bleeding from us to fund their totalitarianism or wars, right? It's actually, as each one of them jumps into the other prisoner's dilemma of adopting Bitcoin, it's making the rest of us wealthy, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is funding us in the decentralized resistance, right? So now you've got two factors. You've got the parasite class, which is largely the bureaucrat and incompetent class. They're losing their power of credit creation potentially as each one of them is forced into a different prisoner's dilemma. And you have the brain drain of the actual creators and builders of actually entrepreneurs and world changers are on the other side, which is getting potentially the emergent paradigm of Bitcoin adoption, which is serving the function of what credit creation usually does in the strategic landscape of global warfare.
in Jeff Booth's book, um, The Price of Tomorrow, he he, he talks about the, exactly what what you're getting at, Joel, which is like there's this vicious cycle with money printing economics where the whole world becomes so dependent on credit creation that um, not only is it hard to think about a world on deflation, but the 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 paradigm shift between the two would would devastate the world. It's, you would end up with a deflationary collapse that would, um, you know, maybe it's not an understatement to say like largely destroy civilization as we think of it. <laughs> but when you have an energy currency like Bitcoin, it changes things. Suddenly you have this uh, deflationary lifeboat, like an arc, mm -hmm. and it was mm -hmm. that paradigm shift it, that in other words, it, there would, there really wouldn't be a way without going back to the stone age uh, and starting back on gold to, to pivot the world. Um, away from its addiction on credit creation, Bitcoin is is absolutely uh, paramount, and it's it's in, it's incredible that it actually enables this. That as each country enters that game theory and and and, and starts to hold Bitcoin, that it, it essentially frees itself from the debt trap. Um, that is that is forcing every country to go along with all the absurdity that we see around us. Because that's the big question families have: is like, why is my you know. It's not world the World Economic Forum, like Mark says. Like that's the the clubhouse that they that they're refining the game plan. Yeah, yeah. It's our country's itself. It's your government is the is what's going along with it, right? It's not it's not just it's, Klaus Schwab. It's the fault of the world. addict. It's the yeah. fault of the addict. Seriously, no, and that's literally the point that I wanted to pull on as I was listening to all three of you talk is that it's um the only way credit creation works is if there's um if there is a counterparty willing to accept that credit, right? I can go and print some credit in my fucking bedroom right now, but no one's going to accept it. It's not going to make right. me any richer. And, and this is where a lot of people always get asked like, oh, when's hyperinflation coming? And I'm like, hyperinflation is not a function of how much money has been printed. Hyperinflation is purely a loss of confidence. And at the moment, what governments are doing, what the state apparatus is doing and what, you know, any of these, um, three-letter organizations are doing is they're trying to survive um, and all of their survival is predicated on faith in institutions so you know they'll try and say whatever they fucking want they're, they'll they'll create they'll either create crises or they will act toward crises in a way that they can be viewed as uh prioritizing safety and not risk right and this is where sometimes i say it's like whether the crisis was um you know planned or not it doesn't actually matter the outcome would have been the same in a world in which as you just said laser um they're dependent on credit and the the credit market is entirely dependent on faith and that faith needs people to believe in the strength and sanctity of these institutions and to do that the institutions need to be viewed as entities who prioritize the safety of those that they're looking after right so so that's kind of the the the, the belief stack that needs to be um, upheld and preserved in order for the credit creation to continue otherwise it's like pushing against the string right like it's it's just not going to fucking work now that's all fucking occurring like you know th this is all like um you know we're coming to the point where that faith uh is very quickly evaporating but if you place yourself uh in the seat of 
any bureaucrat or statists or or um or operator within these um, organizations, you're tasked with finding a way to maintain some sort of faith. So you you know you're crafting narratives. You're you're doing this, but I I I, I would kind of argue it's like a it's almost like Overton window wars, right? It's like, it's this continual competition of agendas across multiple groups. And sometimes they're divergent. Sometimes they're convergent. Sometimes they're aligned. Sometimes they're misaligned. Um, but what's happened particularly over the last couple of years is because everyone is such an addict every state, every institution has become such an addict. Everyone is fucking so indebted. The, um, the, the incentive has all of a sudden become aligned for them to share not only narrative structure, but also to share uh, reaction to crises, whether real or fake. So, so I, I always kind of, I try, I try to apply Occam's razor to these things. It's like, it doesn't even have to be a fucking plan. These clowns don't even have to get together. They would still respond the same way on the basis that they are out of fucking money, they're out of credit and they need it. And the only way for them to get credit is to prove that they are still somehow um, institutions that have the faith of the people who are supposed to be the counterparty to that credit. So I think that's like, for me, I, I think, you know, easy money is what deranges the fucking world in the first place. It destroys the capacity for individuals to make accurate value judgments at the individual layer, but then it also fucking scales up into the macro and it transforms into total fucking madness of the crowds. And that's a large part, I think, of what we're seeing. The, the Waymar vibes are off the chart. You, totally. You're, you're dealing shit. You're dealing with a, a world that would rather sit at home and and go to war than than go back, right? Like it's it's th this is the thing that's hard to appreciate is that most of the world likes this. It likes the lockdowns. It likes the credit creation. It Friends likes yes. It likes the it likes the 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 circus vibes. Um, it doesn't want to go back and work and so it's willing to sit back and pop and, and eat popcorn and see where this leads yeah well i mean what more does one expect from a a society in which the the individual values hierarchy um has kind of flipped on its head right so it's like if you look at even to basic shit like maslow's hierarchy which which is which is useful in you know in many contexts it's a useful generalization but you see at the bottom is certainty, right? Like, and that's not where, that, that's not where what you aspire towards or strive towards. Like that is the base that you set up, you know, in order for a human being to survive, but a human being moves up Maslow's hierarchy. So what we seem to have done is inverted that. And, and I don't say it, we have done that as, a, as an intentional thing. It's just happened as a function of creating comfort and realizing that if you know we push this button here, uh, we can create more comfort. And if our time span, if our um, if our time preference is relatively short, we're just going to keep pushing the button because I'm not paying the price for 
pushing the button. Someone else is going to pay the price. Like I came up with a new analogy recently. It's like, if I could jump off a cliff and Mark died um, and then Joel died, like, like, for example, they died for me jumping off a cliff. What disincentive do I have for jumping off a cliff? Zero. Like, other than, you know, I know Mark and I like Mark, so I wouldn't want him to die. But if it's someone I don't fucking know, someone I don't care about, like I will jump off a cliff and I'll keep, other people keep dying for me. So it's kind of like moral hazard has become so fucking baked into this thing that it has naturally deformed society into a fucking Frankenstein where nobody can think further than next year and nobody can when you can't think further than next year, it's, it's just this vicious fucking spiral that makes everything worse and worse and worse. And the agenda that wins, because I, I don't disagree that there's agendas going on, but everyone's got an agenda. I've got a fucking agenda. You guys have an agenda. Like, you know, com- like Bitcoin companies have an agenda. Bitcoiners have an agenda. The WEF has an agenda. The US government has an agenda. Turkey has an agenda. Bukela has an agenda. Everyone's got a fucking agenda. The prevailing agenda, though, that generally gets support is the one in which the, the one that A, appeals to the lowest common denominator, because then you get the masses on your side, but B, the one that requires the least amount of effort or work because people have become so cushy that they think that they're entitled enough to get everything for free. So that's the agenda that seems to get the most support uh, in a world that's deranged, that has lost its respect for proof of work. A couple of things I'd like to add on to that is kind of looking back on the cycles. So, um, you know, you've both kind of referenced uh, the same thing and that uh, we kind of have this generation where people, as Laser said, they like it. <laughs> they like it. And as, as Alex just said, right, they, it trends toward that. Everybody's cushy and soft. And if you look back, I mean, you know, fourth turning or this generational theory of these like four stages in the hard times creating strong men. Um, but I mean, we can see this all over and there's like uh, eight stages of democracy or an empire. And so it starts with like that faith when it starts out and then the courage and then liberty and all those things. But then once there's abundance created, then that turns to like complacency, apathy, and then we go to dependence and then ultimately from dependence to bondage. And so kind of uh, Laser was talking about that CBI and it's kind of like that from apathy, everyone's in this apathy into this dependence stage right now. Um, they don't care. They're ap- you know, apathetic. And then the dependence, so let's put everybody on, on, on a UBI um, and just take care of them, which then leads to bondage. Um, but I think, you know, back to cycles and then we, you know, we think back to natural law, like Alex, when you and I were writing, um, previously, we, you know, talked a lot about the natural law and like the natural law of the universe is that you must sow before you reap. And so, um, while the whole world is addicted to credit creation and has helped us get here over the last, you know, 250 years through the cycle, um, it doesn't work. Um, all it does is, is distort things with enough money and technology, you can distort, uh, you can suspend gravity temporarily, um, just like we've we've suspended the law of sowing and reaping. But I think we're at the end of these stages, and uh, at some point, the credit creation has well, it already has massive diminishing returns. We're kind of past this Keynesian multiplier where a nation gets past ninety percent debt to GDP, and so they don't get enough growth for the amount of debt they take on. Um, and so, you know, and as Laser has rightfully called out, right, we're at the end of this of this cycle. It needs to be reset, and I think that's kind of where we're at. I think I take some hope, uh, some confidence in that it doesn't work. It won't work long-term. Um, it's, it's failing and it will fail. And, and there's something on the better on the, on the other side of it, I guess. You, you know, you, you mentioned that 
we're at this peak centralization. And at the same time, you have this, this, de this decentralization, this revolution kind of the, these signals and, and, and this force that's kind of rising more and more people taking personal responsibility, um, moving, moving their energy to Bitcoin, thinking about independence, thinking about food, thinking about, you know, being further out into the countryside. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I, I read the sovereign individual recently and, and it talks about um, it talks about how the state actually loses its monopoly to the internet um, and that it will try and capture the internet as a way to maintain its monopoly on force. Um, but ultimately the internet changes the dynamics of force to such a degree that the state is uh, disintegrated by it because people free themselves through the internet, through internet money, through unstoppable communication, through commerce as it takes place on the internet, um, and that the state will do what it, it can, and, and it won't be a straight line, but you'll get this um, this cornered animal kind of scary death of the state over time. And I think, you know, when you look through the lens of the Great Reset that they're trying, you know, what is what is the the high tech governance of China if not a an attempt to prevent the information age from usurping the state itself, right? It's this attempt to capture it, and so of course the West is interested in not allowing its um, citizens to become customers. It doesn't want them to become free agents and customers that choose government. It wants to capture it in this um, traumatic forever war. Uh, this digital prison. So like, I, I think a big part of the shape of the Great Reset, the shape of the aim of this high-tech totalitarianism is exactly to prevent the long cycle, uh, the pendulum of the long cycle from swinging back to the individual through the, the rise of this information age. Because it's, you know, the internet just started it. We're actually just now getting into the information age now that we're starting to have internet money. Like it's actually just beginning. It's incredibly exciting, but of course the state is going to respond by saying, oh, well, because of cyber terrorism, we need a permissioned web, a totally permissioned web where it's, you know, we know everything our citizens do and can rate you. Um, of course, that's, you know, it would be, it, you know, it's, it would be crazier to me to think that they would allow their, their power over people to, just to disintegrate into the air. So, of course, they're going to um, try and, and, and erect this permissioned web. Of course, they're going to try and tag everyone by inescapable biometrics. Um, it, but they need a conduit that we would accept because the world's not going to accept that lying down, hopefully, Right. Um, so you, you, you need to scare people. And, and I think um, there's not a better time to do it than the end of the empire cycle. You know, um, on Game of Thrones, uh, Peter Baelish said, uh, you know, chaos is a ladder. <laughs> chaos is opportunity. Um, so when you already have, you already need to have a managed decline of the monetary system, uh, you have to reset things. You're already going to create chaos because when you're resetting balance sheets, you're also resetting the relationships of all these nations, right? So these nations know that there's going to be a, a ordering effect, right? You could actually, through opportunism, end up in a little bit better place, right? Um, and so that's, you know, that also leans into the headwinds on, on why we're likely to see conflict. And, and, and it's naive to think that just because 
the Great Reset is is a playbook that the West kind of likes. You know, the governors of money creation, central banks have, have said, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure you get your credit creation through this decade. Um, that doesn't mean it can't spiral out of control, right? That, that doesn't mean it, it, like, they can control the incentives and that's where it begins and ends. They can't control outcomes. They can't control the world. So you could totally. have a situation. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, dude, I'm I'm so glad you said that. And sorry to cut you off there. Like, uh, did you have anything else to add to that to finish? No, that that's that's the point. Is that you know all you can do is control incentives, and when you control credit creation, that's a that's the biggest incentive on earth. Incentive of all. That has real limitations. Mm-hmm. You can't mm-hmm. control it, human action. Exactly, exactly, and th- and I think this is the part where um where a lot of people um I think end up falsely placing a, like they, they give too much credit to central planners um, as if they can pull every single fucking string. And, and I'm like always like, on. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they go off the fucking rails and they think it's like some unbeatable force of like lizards that we're never going to stop. It's like, no, they just happen to have their hand on the most important lever, which is the fucking incentives. And everyone is going to coalesce around that. And the more they become dependent on it, like all junkies, the more they want more of it, right? So that, that's what they've got. But as you said, you can't uh, manage human action. You can't plan human action. An economy is not something you can press the rewind button on and just like, let's try this again. It doesn't fucking work that way. So what happens is, you know, things start to break along the way. And, and, and I think this is, this is the ultimate downfall of any central planned apparatus. And, and it's a big part of what me and Mark um, wrote in the new book that we've got coming up is that central planning just ends up cracking under its own pressure because the larger it becomes, the, the less it's able to be agile um, and the less, it's a, it, the less it's able to adapt. Like we know life is that which adapts, that which finds fitness and trying to centrally manage something, trying to kind of like even fix it to a particular level. And this is, you know, one of the big fallacies of, you know, collectivist or communist thinking in general. It's like, if only we could create a class of the proletariat and fix it, then everyone will be happy. You know what I mean? Like, even if, you know, you can frame that in some way, shape or form to be a noble aspiration, it's still going to fucking fall apart because, life just breaks through the cracks and everything starts to uh, tumble down. So, so to your point, um, controlling incentives is one thing, you know, because you can pull the levers, you know, fuck around with interest rates, issue new money, issue new debt, issue new credit, whatever. Right. But that has a diminishing return. Um, (laughs) The more you do it, the more you use that button, the, the less of a, the less of an impact. Like nature has its own difficulty adjustment, right? Like if you use this shit too much, um, you know, the, 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 the barrier, the, the activation energy continues to increase. So here we are now at a point where I think Bitcoin in many ways is, um, is, a, is a, how can I say it's an outgrowth or it's an unintended consequence of this continued centrally planned uh, attempt to make the map reality instead of mapping 
the map to the territory, right? So, so it's like we, we've kind of inverted this because we think we're so smart. And, and I wrote about this recently in a, it wasn't even recent, it was like six or seven months ago in a piece that I did. It was called Bitcoin Chaos and Order. And what I talk about in there is like this idea of over the last 500 years, we separated the study of matter from the study of what matters. And the study of matter is an empirical study. And in there, you know, you have your chemistries, your, you know, physics, you have your, you know, your, your hard sciences, basically. And in those ones, you know, the things that you find in those studies is, you know, you can, you prove things empirically, you know, you, you, you run experiments, you, you test, and then you sort of, you show through empiricism that this thing works and, you know, the equations always work and, you know, you can build a model and the model fucking works, right? We didn't have that prior to 500 years ago. We, we were far swung on the other side, which is the study of what matters. And that's like things like economics or philosophy or, um, or psychology, right? It's, 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 it's a non-empirical study and it's full of heuristics. It's full of uh, rules of thumb. It's full of um, the, the inability to model, um, but instead, the pursuit of understanding principles such that you can look at systems holistically. Now, what happened was over the last three, four, 500 years, the study of matter excelled and it replaced the study of what matters along the way because it gave direct results. Like if you applied an empirical thesis um, into something, you proved it, it transformed into technology, the technology transformed into money, um, and you are able to exceed and excel and outcompete people who are still fucking around with the study of what matters. And we sort of, the pendulum swung completely on that side. And then what you ended up what ended up happening is uh, philosophy, economics, particularly economics, uh, psychology, all this sort of stuff. Like, so like in psychology, you had the rise of the BF Skinners of the world who just believe that human beings are rats, that if you, you know, prod them enough, um, you can transform them and mold them into a machine, right? Like human beings, like BF Skinner suggested that human beings don't have free will. There is none of, you know, there is no spirit. There is no soul. We are just automatons. And if you poke us and prod us in the right way, we will conform. Like we're all nurture, not nature, right? So is this attempt to transform psychology into an empirical model. Keynesian economics, as we know, it was an attempt to distill all complex human action into a set of models. And, and that pursuit has basically turned us into a bunch of, you know, psychopaths who are, instead of viewing reality and drawing the map, we are drawing a map, not even looking at reality and just saying, that's real. I swear to God, I drew it. And you know, I did it because the math makes sense because in my model, the math that I've chosen to make sense makes sense. And then what you end up doing, like if you've got a, a map that doesn't represent reality, what ends up happening? You get fucking lost. And that's where we are. We are completely fucking lost as a society because we have nothing that roots us back into reality. And to loop this whole little rant here back to um, what I think Joel initially said or laser or whatever um, was that Bitcoin finally, finally fucking ties it all together. I call it the fusion of the physical and the metaphysical. Like it fuses these two together. The, the digital now meets the physical. You can't fucking lie. Bitcoin is like reality. There's no rewind button. If you don't believe me, go and send some Bitcoin to a fucking address and get one digit wrong. 
Nobody's going to help you. No one's rewinding it for you. It's not how it fucking works. So it's like Bitcoin fuses not only metaphysical and physical, but it brings together the study of matter and what matters. It's like a jet. It's a, it's a union between them, which for me is like a fucking mind blowing idea. So anyway, rant over curious to see if anyone's got any thoughts on that. Nobody. All right. <laughs> In Amazon, uh, they came up with this term two pizza team. Two pizza team is like, you only have enough engineers. Um, have, as, have, have only as many engineers as two pizzas feeds. And th that's based on the idea that humans in small numbers are pretty good at coordinating. Like a pretty small team, you can coordinate pretty well to where your, your productivity is, is multiplied. It's high. But for every person you add beyond two pizzas, you lose productivity. You lose the ability to coordinate. The coordination overhead becomes uh, expensive. This explains why companies like Amazon and Google are actually quite successful at scale because they divide themselves up into very small cross-functional units that fully own a vertical of responsibility. So instead of sharing responsibility horizontally across these massive departments that, that, that lose most of their productivity to coordination overhead, they have small high responsibility teams that own a whole function. They can move quickly and do things. Now imagine what a government is like. It's not like Google or Amazon. It's, it's, it's like a big fat bureaucratic department that uh, has extremely high um, coordination overhead. Um, and, and, and so like that, I, I bring this, this antidote up because it, it's, it, it, it's illustrative in terms of how human coordination scales. Um, and what I mean by that is it doesn't scale well. <laughs> it scales poorly. Um, and uh, like, the, like in, in the largest uh, scales, like the, the, the proof that human coordination doesn't scale is, is uh, genocide and war and, and massive debt cycles and enslavement and, um, you know, all of these things. Now, central planners want to solve that with like expansion, like unbelievable expansion of central powers. So they want to solve it with more of the same. Um, but you're just going to you're just going to exaggerate the the um, the ex externalities of that. And they will all be human shaped in, in, in terms of, you know, from our finiteness will flow tragedy. And the more the more you tie in larger groups of humans, you're only going to compound that tragedy. You're not suddenly going to solve the problem of human coordination at scale. Now, the proof that the internet completely inverts that is Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin's the only thing that can scale the human race because it allows us to work in all together as a single unit in terms of growing a value pie, growing, um, flourishing, but we do it by, by staying at the scale where we can have high trust and high and low coordination overhead. So you can stay yeah. in your little tribes and your little citadels and you can still grow the value for the whole world. It, it basically eliminates the need to have high coordination across massive groups um, with, with tightly controlled central planning. It, it completely inverts it in the same way that a Google or Amazon figured out how to scale. Google does that for the world um, by disenfranchising central planning permanently. 
You mean Bitcoin does that for the world, but yes, yes. What did I say? Yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah, you said Google does that for the world. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, been captured. Yeah, definitely not Google. Even Google Blink. has a limit. You know, even, even Amazon has a limit. And, and, you know, and, and the proof of that is that they're courting the state to try and earn totally. these fascist forever monopolies in this new paradigm. So, yeah. you know. And if you look at if you look at the way the world really progressed, right, going into the Renaissance age, it was through specialization. And so it was uh, specializing, being the best at what I could do. We know focus is a superpower, right? And so if you can have these small clusters, to your point, Laser, and in, in, in these big companies, these small clusters of teams that can really focus down on a project, have accountability, um, they can, you know, they can have a lot of progress. And so everything that we know through history and even the way these big organizations work today is based off of that small team specializing in what they do. Um, so it seems, uh, I don't know, it seems kind of funny or ironic that uh, these governments or powers that be want to continue to centralize, but it's not because no matter, no matter how much information they get that what they're doing doesn't work, they just seem to kind of go down that path. But um, if they want to continue centralizing, uh, especially when it comes to the economy, because the problem is the economy, right? The price is the signal, which coordinates all that activity in the economy. And I think they understand that, right? They understand the reason why these centrally planned economies continue to fail is because they don't have the enough inputs, right? They don't have enough data, which seems like they want to be solving back to kind of uh, what you laid out, um, laser is the big things, right? The COVID passports, CBDCs, digital IDs, et cetera. And really those CBDCs, if they can get all of that data and Klaus Schwab broke this out in his book, um, the fourth industrial revolution, but they can get all that data going into an AI, um, then maybe they can solve that. Maybe they can figure out a better way to coordinate. Um, and it seems like uh, that's the goal, if they can get these technologies, put that in place. But it seems like AI is a long way off. As a matter of fact, um, I sat down with Naval um, about a month ago, and I got to pick his brain. And you know, he's this you know, kind of famous Silicon Valley VC and works on this stuff. And he's like, you know, for like general AI, like he's like, we're no closer than we were in the 70s. Yes. And um, narrow AI has gotten better, but not general AI. And um, it seems Bitcoin is like the antithesis to that, right? So if, if, if AI is centralized, Bitcoin is decentralized, obviously. And so it seems like their, their whole hope of getting this to work is to gather enough data with all these tech tools and have this AI cloud. But the reality of it seems very far-fetched, and we have a tool that's specifically built to defeat that, maybe. Speaking, yeah, speaking sorry, Lazy, go yeah, so in, in AI, the, the last, there's, a last, there's something called the last mile problem, which is to say you, you can only solve what you could account for. This, and and, and w within the extent of the technology, this has let us create lots of narrow AIs. So like uh, Waymo self-driving cars is an example of a, a narrow AI. Like it can do a surprising amount of things that we've thought of, right? <laughs> right? And, and, and the problem with the last mile is the, the, the last mile is, is it's never ending. Um, you know, Carl Sagan used to say, if you, if you want to, um, if you want to bake a pie, you, you know, you just need to invent the universe first. Right. And, and that's kind of the same thing with, with uh, generalized AI. So this idea that um, you could have a, a AI central planner, you know, you go back to the team analogy. Okay, as you grow the team, you have to sacrifice the autonomy of every individual, right? So you get a big fat company, everyone has low autonomy, and the cohesion goes down too. 
okay, well, if you want to turn the whole human race into a single team, you have to you have to eliminate autonomy, autonomy, give it to a AI central planner that makes all the decisions. That's the only way you can hope to to create. I mean, and and, and the the Luciferian you know flavored goal that these central bankers aim at is like they want balance between mankind and nature, perfect balance. You could only do that by sacrificing free will and, and giving full autonomy to a central planner in, in terms of human behavior. But, but that is, you know, that is not possible so long as the last mile um, problem in AI exists. And there's not a, a theorist alive that has an answer for that. Yeah, I think the the last mile problem to me reminds us. I just did a fucking monster podcast a couple of days ago with a guy called Rob Malco, who's man, he, you guys should hundred percent listen to this. It's like it's one of the best pods I've ever recorded. So he's got an incredible story. Like he he grew up um, to two deaf parents um, who were both born deaf. So imagine like the the mind fuck that is for a kid who like you're growing up and you you perceive and understand the world in a completely different fucking modality from your parents. Like even down to things like, you know, kids cry so that they can get the attention of their parents. Like imagine crying and not being fucking heard like some crazy shit. So anyway, he, he kind of became, you know, he delved into philosophy and all this sort of shit and, um, and, you know, became a Bitcoiner. Now he's working on a bunch of AI stuff and um, with some, like basically the best professors out of Berkeley and stuff like that, and trying to push back on what's happening in that space, which is this attempt to define values through the lens of, um, you know, basically modern society. So, you know, the, the values that they're trying to instill in any of the AI that they're building and stuff that shit like equity, you know, and stuff like that. There's no mention of like excellence or, um, you know, like excellence is almost considered fucking fascist. There's no so. So it's some crazy shit. But one, one of the things we were debating during the podcast was this, um, this idea of what the fuck is consciousness. And, and I mean, I've, I've, personally battled with this question for, for a long time. And, and my best grasp at a definition is like consciousness is the, the echo of the randomness that was inherent in the creation of the universe. So it's like this kind of, it's, it's almost like if that randomness kind of that was there at the beginning of the universe and you call that randomness, God, you can call it whatever you want. But if that sort of, you know, emerged as the base elements, the base, you know, the base forms of energy that, you know, turned into the fucking earth that turned into uh, somehow, you know, life. Um, like humans are like the fingertips of life. And we just happen to have like the fingertips of the fingertips of life, which is consciousness and consciousness has been something that fucking emerged for us. So for me, when I look at AI, I'm like, man, we, we don't get consciousness yet. And that's something that seems to have emerged. It wasn't something that seems to have been bestowed, at least from my viewpoint. So I have a big challenge around the AI piece, you know, at least the, the idea of artificial general intelligence that is conscious um, with that. It's actually the same problem. Okay, so it's the same problem. The reason that cryptography and encryption works is because it's it's very it's very cheap to multiply prime numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, a human can do that, but to, to attempt to find the product 
of a specific mm -hmm. prime number to, 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 to basically divide every combination of a number in, in search of a in search of um, a, 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 a cipher or a cryptographic, a cryptographic product is is exponentially more expensive and, and, and to the to the point that there's not a computational system that could that can crack these um, these basic uh, cryptographic primitives. Um, that's kind of like the same thing with AI, right? Like you, you, you know, um, you can, for everything that you can think of, you can develop a narrow AI for, but mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. get product of, of the randomness of the universe is exponentially more expensive. It's, it's, it, that analogy actually applies very well to the reason why we're not close to, to, to determining a, a general AI, but, but, but this actually gives you insight into why they, that why they want to record your human behavior and strip away your will because instead of making a general ai their idea is to make a narrow ai by making human action even more narrow totally totally so, so fuck yes so this is actually while mark was talking about it i wrote some uh notes around like what this ai attempt looks like and i think you and i laser on the same page right here it's like to 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 get some sort of narrow or series of narrow AIs to make decisions for us, they, they need to go through a few processes. It's like, you need to gather the information, you need to process it, you need to compute, you then need to decide, and then you need to implement. So it's like five steps and then, you know, repeat. Now, I, I just kind of like noted this down so that maybe there's more steps, but basically that's kind of like a framework. But to do that on a complex system in which human beings are all different and all diverse, and all either converge or diverge in, in, their, in their needs, their wants, their desires, like, you know, the, to try and apply that to an intersubjective reality, it's fucking impossible. So you need to create like the lowest common denominator and you need like, you know, me and Mark were talking about this when we're writing the book. It's like entropy is, you know, contrary to life. Like entropy is the force that goes the opposite way. And it's easier to bring down than it is to, to raise up, right? It is easier to do that. So if you want to make... Uh, specialized AI, you know, make decisions for you, the inputs need to become a lot more homogenous. The system needs to become simpler and more linear in order to feed the information in. So how do you do that? Well, fuck, just give everyone some UBI, some Netflix, Metaverse, uh, an ID, and, you know, th this is how we get there. Now, mind you, once again, this doesn't need to be a conspiracy. This might just need to be a series of fucking ideas that tech retards think are good. Like ever since that fat fuck P marker decided that, um, you know, software eating the world was a good idea. Um, we've been, you know, in a downward sort of trend, like the, the pendulum has swung the opposite way. Like instead, instead of uh, innovating in the space of atoms, we've just completely gone deranged and innovated in the space of bits. And because the space of bits is new to us, um, we're able to kind of like delude ourselves into thinking that we can just, you know, every problem is just a matter of um, shuffling some bits and bytes, uh, sorry. Yeah. Bits and bytes. And then, you know, we'll get there. So anyway, th th there's a, there's a few things there, but it's like human beings are not automatons. So, you know, this idea of an AI or series of specialized AIs running everything I, is just I, I fucking stupid. I want to cue Joel up here um, yeah. because so <laughs> this, idea, this idea that the, the hubris of man, that what, what, you know, God has put the divine providence 
in every individual. And, and the only way you're going to centrally plan the world is by eliminating that, right? That's, that's the only way you're going to create man in perfect harmony with nature, which is the, an endeavor to create heaven on earth. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to say, um, I'm, I, I'm going to defeat that peace of God in everyone so that I can um, make behavioral homogenous enough that a artificial intelligence can model it and, and turn the dials and the levers um, on central planning on our incentives such that you get desirable collective behavior. Um, now, the thing I wanted to cue Joel up is, is that um, just because we have this kind of thesis on this and we can see it and we're able to come on Twitter and talk about it um, doesn't mean that it succeeds. And at the same time, um, what we're seeing is how far they're willing to go, even though people see them, even though people see COVID for what it is, even though people see this Russia, 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 cyber stuff for what it is, yet they persist. And, and, and you know, we were talking before we hit record that, that, you know, what's to say that, that they don't lose control of the thing that you don't end up with an actual situation, a real situation, and, and wish you had sort of prepared for that? I want to talk to the AI thing before I take the mic there on that. So, Svetsky, the way I would define, like, the consciousness is the slice of the divine inside of us. So even if they could simplify the human into a machine where they had it narrow enough that an AI could do it, it still wouldn't work. It'd be a race to the bottom, which is just a race to zero. Let me unpack that and explain for a second. Um, what makes humans special with that divine in us is that we have the ability to reach into the eternity to cross that last mile problem, right? Like, like we, we look at Bitcoin, and a lot of us talk about Bitcoin as if it's an AI. So why is Bitcoin a successful AI that's reaching into the unknown so successfully versus these other ones are not? Well, I would argue that Bitcoin as a technology actually has a a sense that it's come to grips with its own like um, mortality would be the best description I have. And I'll explain that by saying that like Bitcoin as a technology is actually okay if it perishes because it trusts in the fact that we will use it to keep it alive. So it's not trying to control all the variables and outcomes. Bitcoin literally says there's going to be enough people that are vested enough in believing that I as a technology am important enough that they will do the work to keep me alive. So in a sense, it's actually Bitcoin has an act of faith that it's doing in humanity. And in that act of faith is crossing the last mile problem to actually kind of almost become alive as a tech, like a real AI versus this attempt at creating these control AIs are based upon a fear paradigm. So, so let, let me, let me step back to back to credit creation again. So we were talking about this addiction to credit creation in nations globally, right? It's not just an addiction problem. It's, it's a game theory prisoner dilemmas problem, right? So, so like war has always been about deployment of resources against one another. Typically those with the strongest manufacturing base is the one that wins because it's just energy harnessing to see who can out manufacture the other at the end of the day. But it's also not just raw manufacturing, it's strength of the economy, right? Because what you're in is a situation where you and your enemy 
are looking at each other as a nation. It, if your money reaches towards that lie of credit creation first, of saying like, I can rob from my people to spin up more energy to deploy against you before you do, that I'm going to win short term in a war. And it forces you to reach for that lie of credit creation and rob from your people first. And it's just this race to the bottom of you trying to rob from your people without destroying them and destroying their economic activity to the extent that they can't create the power of the manufacturing base of human potential anymore in order to actually win a war. So it's this trying to fine line it of how much can I kind of swallow this lie in order to survive. But Bitcoin itself is a completely different paradigm. It's a paradigm of instead of reactionary out of fear of let me reach for control before my enemy does, it's actually like a mark of faith. It's like, I believe Bitcoin's a better money and I believe the world's going to move towards it. So I'm moving first out of this kind of vulnerability to what I see as the truth of reality, right? So it's a race to the top instead of a race to the bottom. So that's what makes humans different in our creative potential is we're able to extrapolate beyond what is actually seemingly possible on the surface of the game theory to say that we can see this value and I believe I can bring it into being. So it allows us due to that consciousness to cross that eternal divide and reach further, right? And Bitcoin as a technology kind of instantiates that. So it's this whole new paradigm shift of instead of an AI based on controlling all variables out of fear, if we can do this perfectly, then we can steward the world, of me saying that I believe that we can work together as humanity to find an equilibrium of balance of creative entrepreneurial potential to where we can steward the world well together when we're disciplined together. So it's a paradigm really of a competition of a very just two distinct things. There's fear of control and self-protection or faith of belief of vulnerability of giving ourselves towards something that we're reaching towards together. That's the tension of the two worlds where they're colliding, even in this global macro politics warfare paradigm that Bitcoin is just clashing into, like making us see this micro stacked all the way up to macro. You know, uh, part of what might be going on is that, and you've heard technology, technologists talk about this for a while, the rise of AI and machine learning and robotics and computer vision, it creates a job problem that you have like, you know, it's technology is going faster and faster and a large percentage of the world, it's speculated, will not be able to retrain at that rate. They'll get left behind. So you have a, how do you, how do you deal with room and board for those people? If, if, the main oomph of the economy leaves them. Um, and, and to a certain degree, you know, reaching out towards AI central planning as a solution is kind of like shorting humanity. It's, you're going long automation, you're going long, and, and you're willing to sacrifice human autonomy uh, permanently for, of, of the surf, surf tier, not, not the upper tier. Um, where with Bitcoin, it's this, it's an extension of human action, right? And you're willing, you're, you're making a, a bet that actually, wait a second, you can decentralize wealth and decentralize effort. And, and the, the human spirit can keep this thing alive. There is a great future there. There is, um, you know, 
that there is much to be had and, and that's worth betting on. And, and it really is the difference in the paradigms, like a, a tiny percentage of people seeing that they're going to own the technology where most of the productivity comes from in the future. Of course, uh, Bitcoin doesn't make sense as alien to them, right? It reminds me, I was going to say, reminds, has anyone ever read the book Anthem by Ayn Rand? No. No? It's super short. You'll read it in like two or three hours, um, not even. It's, um, it's basically, it was one of her early little, it's kind of like a novella, really. Um, and she did it early on. It was one of the first things she wrote and published. And it talks about a world um, post uh, a cataclysm that came as a result of um, a technocratic technological dystopia, basically. And the, the technological dystopia collapses. Um, and then on the other side, you have, um, you know, the, the, what kind of laser mentioned, you know, the, the remaining surf class and kind of like a, a ruler class who, you know, the, the, the surfs don't have a name. They all have a number. Um, you know, they don't have an individuality. Um, and they've, they've lost all uh, relationship to, um, to technology, et cetera. Like, you know, they don't even know what lighting is anymore. None of that stuff. Um, and the, the spark of humanity seems to somehow uh, ignite in one of them um, who seeks to uh, escape um, from this commune that they're all sort of living in and, you know, working daily and everything. But basically the, the, the idea there is that the prior uh, version of society was some technocratic dystopia, which ended up falling apart anyway. Um, and in the process of falling apart, the ashes that remained were a bunch of automatons who had no individuality and basically had the spark of humanity, um, which is this, echo of randomness from the beginning of the universe, right? Um, or consciousness or the divine, whatever way we want to describe it. But it, they had that uh, quashed out of them. And, and for me, that's a big fear is like, when I, like I recently wrote what I think is my magnum opus um, in the fourth edition of the Bitcoin Times, I call it fire Bitcoin teleportation. And it's like this cosmic slash anthropological slash, you know, fucking long-term view on Bitcoin. And I kind of go back to the discovery of fire, why that was important. And then I make the case for why Bitcoin's the next big uh, discovery on the, the, what I call the time chain of humanity. But in there, I, I kind of take a little detour and talk about um, the great filter. Um, and are you guys familiar with um, the, what the great filter is? Oh. I've heard you talking about it quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. So, so the great filter is it's, it's a hypothesis that attempts to answer what's called Fermi's paradox and Fermi's paradox is so Fermi, uh, I remember what is, I think it was Nikolai or something like that. Oh no, that's not his name. Ernesto or something like that. Uh, Fermi. So he was a physicist who kind of observed and said, there is so much universe out there. Um, so many fucking galaxies and stars and planets and everything it makes no sense whatsoever why uh the entire universe is not teeming with um with intelligent life and there's a bunch of different theories but one of the more popular ones is, and one that i actually like at least the um i don't agree with all the steps in it but i like the the framework is it's it's called the great filter and it was 
proposed by a guy called, um, I think his name was Robin Hansen in the 1990s. And he said, the reason we're not seeing intelligent life out there is that life has to go through this whole complex set of steps um, in order to become intelligent, in order to broadcast um, intelligent signal outwards. Um, and that series of steps, if you miss one, you know, the, the, the rest of the shit doesn't, um, doesn't flow through. And I, I think another part of his point is that, you know, those steps have to come in a particular order in order to, um, to actually get to the point. And so what he proposes, this idea of a great filter, which is most living species out there may not actually make it through the great filter um, and not coming through the great filter, then, you know, you don't become, uh, you know, the civilization doesn't continue. And so what I wrote in my piece was I said, look, there's human beings are in a race to get through the great filter. And basically the four things that can wipe us out really is um, an asteroid coming and wiping us out, um, the emergence uh, of an AI um, or a specialized set of AIs. Um, now, even let's say the emergence of general AI uh, who either takes on the broken values that humans are representing in a macro position at the moment. Um, and you know that kind of tends to compete with us in that fashion and wipe us out or um, doesn't take our values, but looks at us on the grand scale as a bunch of fuckwits and just decides, well, that's a nuisance. So delete. Um, the other one is, fuck, I'm going to, I, I want to find my, my four points. Cause I don't want to, um, I don't want to say this wrong. So where are and, we? And just to be clear, like a generalized AI that humans willingly, uh, um, willingly give up free will to in in the sort of the, the western christian view is the antichrist right you willingly give up your your autonomy permanently um and and if the species as a whole does that that's an end of times event for christianity um totally totally so so okay so here's the four um one or a series of megalomaniacs push the red button. So, so that would be fucked up. Some artificial abomination of intelligence are right, that interprets our poor behavior and thus biological life is inferior, an asteroid, or the fiat-funded sterile authoritarian gulags that build oh, they build on their quest for centralized efficient utopias, right? So it's like on, on the path to trying to build this utopia, we turn everything into some sterile fucking authoritarian gulag where everyone's a brain in a fucking vat. And, and for me, like, I, I make the case in this piece. It's like Bitcoin is the path to the great filter. And more, more importantly than just Bitcoin for humanity here is that if there was any other intelligent species out there, they too would have to go through the steps along the great filter, which is step one, a planet capable of harboring life must form in the habitable, in the habitable zone around a star. Step two, life must emerge. Step three, life forms must be able to reproduce. So RNA than DNA. Um, simple cells must evolve uh, into more complex cells. So prokaryotes into eukaryotes, for example, then multicellular organisms must emerge. Step six is a method of increasing uh, genetic diversity must take hold. So like sex in our, in our case. Um, and then I've kind of got a couple steps in here, which are not included in the original great filter, which is 
Complex organisms must evolve into species capable of repeatedly transforming potential energy into kinetic energy. In other words, they must be able to use tools. Then this complex tool-wielding species must discover fire. So this is the point about heat energy. Like So this shortens their intestinal tract and it diverts energy towards the brain. So this is what makes us or puts us on the path towards... Um, cognition or consciousness then the increased brain size so step nine is of this species um, and the interconnectedness of neurons must reach a point where consciousness emerges um, step 10 this species must develop a tool for measuring time energy and scarce resources enabling them to coordinate and cooperate across time and space i.e money so this is what all the physicists fucking miss then 11 is the species using this technology must develop complex societies that culminate into the advanced technologies required for space travel. But then, so, so that's kind of where we are. We're at like step 11, but then this is the critical step. Number 12 is the species must discover and transition onto an energy money standard before it destroys itself. Because the, the thing, the point that we're at is we are now for the first time ever technologically sophisticated enough and culturally retarded enough that someone might push the fucking red button. We may unleash artificial intelligence or we may on the path to forming some centralized efficient utopia, literally build fucking gulags um, and everyone marches into them with a smile on their face. Um, and then we may as well pray that the fucking asteroid comes because at that point, like, you know, who gives a fuck? So it's kind of like we're at a real interesting precipice. And for me, like, honestly, Bitcoin is just so fucking important and pivotal to that because it actually solves all four of those problems. Um, it, you know, it removes the, the red button risk over time um, because it changes the uh, returns on violence. It completely fucking um, uh, rug pulls the the authoritarian gulag piece. Um, I honestly think that, that, and there's a whole discussion to be had here around how it actually changes the relationship with technology and potential specialized and even longer term general artificial intelligence. And I actually think it gives us the capacity, like once we harness energy, once we figure out energy money and we move on to an energy money standard, we can actually harness energy and we start to become so technologically advanced that if an asteroid does come, we can build like an intergalactic baseball bat and knock it out of the fucking sky. So I think there's a whole thing here that, um, you know, so long as we get through, you know, I, I, as part of a new article that I'm writing about, like it's a great filter series. I talk about the great transition um, being what kind of, you know, the great filter is the midpoint of the great transition. And, you know, arguably no other species other than us has actually been able to get through that. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but the great transition is going to have things like the great filter and the great stupidity and the great lie and all this sort of stuff happening in it. Um, but what's key is that we transition through and come out on the other end on an energy money standard in which metaphysics and physics, you know, abound, blah, blah, blah. blah. So all this sort of other stuff. So I wonder so if anyone's got any thoughts on that. You can't, I got cement, you can't cement Go ahead, the species. You can't cement the species without cementing the individual. And energy money will allow us to overcome our own proclivity towards pathological collectivism. That's what I'm hearing. And so we can't move totally. forward 
unless we can overcome that within our species and energy money is what will allow us to neuter that um, instinct within us. Instinct is the wrong word. To neuter that um, temptation. Tendency. Yeah, the tendency. tendency. Yeah, totally. Totally. It, because it's, see, see, Bitcoin is in line with life because it's an anti-entropic force, right? Bitcoin moves opposite. So Bitcoin takes entropy and tr- like takes chaos and transforms it into some form of order. And we do that as well. Like we're, as a manifestation of life, we do that. So this is the first time we've had something that we can use in line with life. Um, and as you said, neuter that tendency towards entropy, that tendency towards becoming the lowest common denominator of, you know, automatonistic existence. Um, Joel, what did you have to say? Well, I, I would argue that Bitcoin doesn't do it. Bitcoin enables us to do it because we're the ones who keep Fair. Bitcoin alive by mining it and using it, right? It's not the technology. It's that Bitcoin is the technology that actually, I like the thing I said earlier. It's like, it's come to grips with its own mortality and trusting us to actually steward mm-hmm. it, right? Versus trying mm-hmm. to control the world itself. Um, but lasers, so to circle back to your previous question and also just this whole thing Setsky's saying here, I think what really makes it special is that Bitcoin is a long on the individual because it's believing that the individual has the competency and capability to expand and grow into being someone capable of actually living in that world and doing something worthwhile of contributing to it, right? It's like betting on that we as individuals are the ones who actually create value. Like, like if we step back to that credit creation thing of nations competing against one another, all they're doing is thieving money from the individuals who are creating value in their economies, right? So it's two zero-sum games of theft compete against one another. So you're thieving from the value creators in your economy, and they're thieving from the value creators in their economy, and it's whichever economy of value creators survives long enough is going to be the one that wins the war at scale, right? But like this impending chaos of why I think this whole thing's doomed is they've realized that doesn't work. They're losing faith of the value creators into their ability to be willing to play this game anymore. So what they're saying is, well, you don't trust any of us anymore. So let's bundle us all together. And now we're clean. So you'll trust us all together. I mean, kind of like the big short where they bundle all the junk bonds and rate them as primes, right? But once again, like all it is, is it's going to be a central entity thieving value from the real value creators that is not any more trustworthy because it's all of them bundled together versus it being individuals. And they're going to try to, in their foolishness, direct that energy towards this zero-sum game again, because now it's a zero-sum game over the whole world versus a zero-sum game of one nation versus another nation zero-sum game. And it's going to inevitably implode because it's a race to the bottom and they're not going to make good decisions because only those who are reaching towards eternity of the real value creators that have that consciousness in us are able to do so. You can't divest that of destroying human free will and expect somebody to to manage that reach. So when that happens, it's going to happen sooner or later at some point where that zero-sum game globally of extracting wealth from the actual value creators of them trying to direct that energy to what they think is the best place for it to direct is going to not work and they're going to destroy it all into this collapse to zero because it's either they're not going to extract enough or they're going to put it in the wrong place and cause a problem and then we're left as the back holders 
are we ready and resilient enough to survive that and rebirth from the ashes? That's where I'm coming from, is I'm just assuming that this isn't going to work because you can't thieve from zero forever. You can't thieve from the real value creators that don't trust you and make decisions you're not wise enough to make and expect it to work in perpetuity. So we just need to be ready for it because it's going to get volatile and violent and explode. So, so that is the F, the Great Reset. <laughs> what, you just, what you just summed up there, Joel, right? So um, what they're calling the Great Reset is really only an extension of the existing system that we have today. I mean, there's nothing fundamentally changing. There's still going to be, as you said, Joel, I mean, thieving from one population to the next. I mean, they're still trying to, I guess human nature gets something from nothing. They're still going to try to create this fake artificial, you know, debt fiat instrument um, to continue to, um, as you said, thieve. And so we know it doesn't work. And so if they want to reset the financial system, but to set the same system back up, maybe they have hope of these technologies and some AI potentially helping them achieve that perfect utopia, dystopia, whatever, but it's not there. The technology is not there. So the reset is no, we need to reject the system we have today, reject the whatever somehow shifted new organized system they're proposing and go back to a system where everybody works on uh, providing value, um, you know, sowing before they're reaping and so forth. Yeah. Cause, Cause their attempt here is just literally just more of the same. It didn't work, so let's try it bigger and stronger and hope it works next time. It's pure insanity versus us well, saying that we're willing to bear the risk of actual existence and make the bet that humanity needs to grow up and actually be capable of doing it. It's, it's even more than insanity, though. It's, it's a strange, deranged version of hope. Like, and, and I say this because I... I, it's funny. I always bring my brother up into, into these fucking podcasts and he'll never listen to any of these podcasts because he's a Talibite slash, you know, Mr. Markets guy. But, you know, even I look at someone like him and he's mind you super, super skeptical of like, you know, me, me and him both kind of, you know, very early twenties were both sort of gold and silver bugs, you know, watching Max Kaiser and all that sort of stuff together. It's like 15 years ago. Um, but, you know, he kind of, his path and my path diverged uh, greatly. And, you know, he thinks Bitcoin's just another fucking financial tool of, you know, of the elite or whatever. And like, he'll, he'll never come at least not until Bitcoin's a couple million dollars. And, you know, I've been proven, you know, categorically, right. He'll, he'll never come to this site. Like he'll continue to think that, you know, he'll, he'll apply all this complex modeling and reasoning and all this sort of stuff to why markets behave the way they do and, you know, attractors and all, all, all the fucking shit that he talks about, like his, you know, his, his idea is that, you know, if I can quantitatively analyze everything, so it's like a wannabe quant, I can figure out how everything's going to happen and that's it. Now in his mind, he's got that piece, but he's also got this sort of skeptical piece. So like, you know, he, he's, extremely fucking healthy eats naturally like so he's got a lot of ingredients that you'd find in a lot of bitcoiners but even he sits there and believes the fucking stupidity and the verbal diarrhea that comes out of the mouths of like silicon valley people like balaji and vitalik and all this sort of stuff around like you know if we can manufacture food in the lab then you know that'll be how we can feed seven billion people or like you know, if we can um, put out 
fucking jab neural things into our brains um, and be a part of like some interconnected thing, then that's how we solve the problems of the world or we'll become a brain in a vat or through, you know, some sort of pharmacological methodology will, you know, extend life. So it's like people seem to be fucking predisposed to this. And, you know, what I, I guess where I'm getting at here is like, to, to Mark's point, it's like, or, or whoever called them insane. Like, you don't actually have to be insane at this point to think this. Like, people have come to the point where they think soy lent is a nutritional form of fucking food and you couldn't change their mind. Like, they think that, um, that you know, software eating the world and us dematerializing everything is the path forward to salvation and to a better world. Like, they fucking... I don't know. Maybe that is the definition of insanity. And if that's the case, then fucking everyone's insane because, you know, at this point, like, um, I don't know. I, I don't. Well, it really is going short humanity. I mean, this it, idea that perfectly you're, put, yeah, you're so infatuated with the science and your romantic mm -hmm. view of technology that you fail to see the last mile problem. You fail to see how that would be catastrophic when you trade the wellness of our species for that bet. Um, it's, it's, uh, it, it's incredible to witness, like Yuval Harari at the World Economic Forum, mm -hmm. uh, going on and on about the fourth industrial revolution, how, how we essentially um, are going to let the state inside of us to yeah. Uh, dig around and experiment and and we're all going to do that because we're not going to be able to stop it because that's that's you know how hard technology is hockey sticking and i i just think it's 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 so um it's such a black-pilled view of what makes us worthwhile mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it is like um i i i I'm coming to believe that it's like the um, the remnants of slave blood, like, and 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 as harsh as that might sound, but it's like a, it's almost this desire of the people who have no faith in humanity. And you, you're you're saying it perfectly, laser. It's like it's a short on humanity. It's like those it's who like don't have faith have such a low opinion of humanity that they want to be ruled. They want an authority. It's even worse than that. It's almost like we exist to birth this incredible technology. Mm -hmm. Our purpose is that mm -hmm. we are going to create this AI godhead and that replacement for us. For yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's so it's, fucking it's pathetic. Like this, it's like this constant attempt to make things small enough that we could make that happen, the whole narrow AI problem again, right? And that's what fear always is. Fear is going to reduce things, this reductionist to make it smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until it's safe and then there's just nothing left versus the correct paradigm here is i just keep coming back to this it's the difference between faith and fear faith is expansive it's a vulnerability of saying that like i have a belief that we're going to better reach towards something larger and expand the filling that's the difference with paradigms here it's a paradigm of fear of reductionism until it's small enough we can control it or the bitcoin paradigm of we're going to fill the space if we just keep reaching and learn how to like grow up to actually match that. Mm -hmm. You think mm -hmm. it's um, 
sort of like, I mean, if you go back to any civilization through history or, you know, all throughout the Bible as well, you see like um, civilizations always trying to like find a God, right? So trying to make a God out of uh, even, you know, even in the Bible, they, they had God lead them through the desert. Next thing you know, Moses is gone for a little bit. And now they're trying to make idols or whatever. Right. And so like, they're always looking for somebody to like, tell us what to do. Um, like almost like trying to like outsource that thinking or that responsibility that's there. And so, uh, maybe what's yeah, slave blood. Right. Uh, But, uh, but almost there's like this, uh, innate, um, feeling of, uh, I mean, I guess that kind of goes to a whole different conversation, but like this almost innate feeling uh, or sense of like trying to assign or, or relegate some control, to something else. Um, but then uh, on the same side, I would almost look at like the need to go to these types of technologies with the hope of an AI that could gather this input, gather this data and then spit it back out is almost, uh, almost kind of comparable to, uh, maybe what happened with like the tower of Babel, right. Where the whole world thought they were smart enough to like kind of conspire and build this plan. Um, so it's like, on one hand you have like, uh, this group of people who just the slave blood, <laughs> the slave blood that just wants to relegate their the decision making and thinking, uh, but then you have this group of people that have the hubris that think that they can, you know, control it all and take it over. Yeah, the Tower of Babel is where I spent a lot of time talking about in the first Great Reset podcast we did, and it's so funny because this is such a godless way of saying it, right? It was so true. Like when the Jews got out of Egypt by rescued by God, he went to war against the most powerful nation at the time by bombing them from the sky with plagues. Right. And it's like, well, where's God? We've been abandoned. Give us a, give us an idol to save us. Let's make a golden calf and we'll be safe. You know, it's like this tendency to just become like that, like slave blood. Um, But it's so funny because that's the antithesis of like what God wanted. It's like God, in my opinion, like if you believe Christianity like I do, I mean, he created man in the Garden of Eden, said, be fruitful, multiply, go and take dominion. And his aim was to raise up humanity as children of God to ascend into sovereignty as kings who could rule and reign with him. And so it's like you've got God who is pursuing through his power as a father over humanity, this attempt to ascend them into full capacity of what they're capable of. And then you got humanity telling God, well, this isn't possible. I'd rather just be smaller and elect something to just do it all for me and return back to nothingness because I'm not going to grow into what you think I can be. Well, and it's the, like, the self-hate, this self-hate of our own existence, this idea that, um, you know, all the Malthusian tones, the like the the pushing back on God or, or, or the universe, however you want to view it, that no, we're spoiling nature. We, we, the deal's wrong. We need to take away from humans, the human species. Mm, mm. We need to, we need to dig out some of that autonomy so that we can balance humanity with nature because, you know, we're going too far. And, and, and that's such a, um, it's an anger at our own species. It's a, it's a, it really is a hateful, it's it, a it doesn't surprise me that people draw parallels to the Luciferian view that it's man versus nature and, and, by you know making nature succeed, you're essentially defeating God, right? That's that's kind of the the Luciferian view, and it doesn't surprise me that people try and say, "Hey, the central banking 
kind of ideology is Luciferian because it's, it's saying, hey, we need to get the reins around humanity. We need to reel them in so that we can balance humankind and nature. And of course, we're the ones that are uh, that, that, that we're able to do that because we control credit creation. So who else is going to who else is going to restrain the human spirit but us? I had a I had a thought, but it's just fucking slipped my mind. Um, you can see that kind of worldview through everything. So obviously through these central planners, they believe they can control the markets. Like, I mean, look at the Fed, right? Like a market's made up of billions of people with trillions of inputs. It's an organic thing. They think it's like a motor that they built and they can just control on a dyno and increase the horsepower. It's like turn down the rev limiter. <laughs> um, but, and then we have, uh, you know, the Bill Gates who thinks he can uh, cool the temperature of the earth by spraying some stuff in the sky, you know, <laughs> or, or he, he said, he said that he didn't think our immune system was good anymore and he needs to upgrade it. Right. And like, uh, man, the level of hubris that they have to think they can control something like that versus somebody who believes that there's something bigger going on and some stuff we can't control. Um, and I, I guess we're seeing maybe peak that right now. Well, so I remember what I was going to say just before. Or, or Joel, do you want to riff off that? or Go ahead. Okay, I was just going to say the, the piece about resentment. Has anyone read any Nietzsche here yet? Anyone? I have. No one? Oh, you have? Okay. Um, so so I, I haven't yet, but to reference the podcast uh, that I mentioned earlier that I did with Rob Malka, the AI guy and the grew up with deaf parents. Um, he, he mentioned something really interesting is, you know, Nietzsche, and, and I don't know if this is a fable and I need to do some more research on this, but it's kind of like, he talked about like the masters and slaves basically. And, you know, masters being, you know, these early beings, uh, early versions of humans who were like, didn't carry resentment. Like, you know, they were, they were physically, morally, intellectually, et cetera, superior across every dimension. And, um, and they didn't carry resentment. If they didn't like something or if they were transgressed um, by a slave, they, they would, you know, react instantly. So it's like a slave transgressed them, did the wrong thing. You know, he'd killed him on the, on the spot and wouldn't feel any anger or hate or anything towards it. It was just like, he did that in much the same way as like an eagle doesn't, you know, have an emotion towards the fish that it goes and like plucks out of the um out of the ground or out of the sea or whatever right so it's like you had this the master and then the slave was the um were the kind of the masses who they created resentment uh through bottling up um the reactions that they wanted to have um but couldn't uh because they were inferior and um and over time, you know, what that did was it kind of evolved into this um, revolt by the slaves of creating, um, creating a series of, um, of, I don't know, psychological models to, um, and, and that's kind of like how envy and all this sort of stuff emerged. Anyway, I don't know, like, I, I'm really butchering the fuck out of it. Um, and whoever's read Nietzsche here, maybe please correct me if I've fucked anything up. But it's like, it was an interesting sort of thought thing for me. It's like, and, and this is why I kind of half tongue in cheek say the slave blood thing is that th there must be something about this idea of, um, of some subset of humanity. And me and Trav spoke about this recently is like, you know, how much of the difference in human beings is nature and how much of it is nurture. And honestly, what, what is it that 
makes a person two and a half fucking years into a scamdemic walk around on the fucking street with a mask on or go to the gym on a treadmill with three fucking masks on or sit in a fucking sauna with a mask on. Like, what, what is it? I don't fucking know. Like, if, if we look at this, there's this tension between two different states of being. There's this nihilism, this destruction tendency, right? Resentment, which is what you're calling Setsky or Luciferianism or Malthusianism, like the way they're calling it. Or you got kind of what historically would be called like Stoic, Stoicism, where it's this posture of gratitude where you're grateful for being and you just celebrate it and you have possession of what you control and you let go of what you don't and you have that vulnerability to the world and you just accept it and joy, right? And that seems to be what's really going on here where it's like, like Bill Gates and all these crazy people. It's like they have this thing in them with this resentment, this nihilism. And rather than control themselves of learn to grow into as a human, being grateful for the human condition and being alive, what they're doing is trying to control the world around them to get rid of this resentment or nihilism. So they're trying to control something larger because they're failing to do the work of learning to be and have self-possession of controlling themselves, which is the smaller thing, right? It's like if we want to rule the world and steward it in a way that balances with nature, which is their ultimate end state, we got to learn to actually have freedom where we are in control of ourselves first, control of your own heart and emotions and state of where you as a human can operate from a place of goodness rather than nihilism or anger or hate or resentment, right? It's like solving the first problem first. That really seems to be the just foundation of the clash of these worldviews. At the very base of it all, it's like, is it nihilism or is it gratitude for being alive and everything flows from that place? And that divergence makes up every single track everything else flows down. These countries have a innate, you know, these countries are comprised of people, bureaucrats and statesmen, and they have an innate fear of responsibility, especially given the, the, the context of con an entire society built upon credit creation. So there's a real fear. You need to follow the credit creation. Um, and in, in you know, when GDP um, is, is completely overshadowed by debt, and when the, the ratio of, of debt to GDP gets really broad, you, you can predict war, you can predict reset. Uh, you could see that that debt went parabolic before the Civil War, before World War One, World War Two, and before COVID started in 2020. Um, and, and it's a it's a very potent predictor. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, in World War One and World War Two, it only took four years of wartime spending, wartime inflation, I should say, money printing, before um, uh, the the citizens' purchasing power of these countries were completely exhausted, and the the wars ended in four years. And we're about two years into what I think is World War III. It's an info war. And we've had wartime spending at these levels for two years now. So I think we're halfway through, we're halfway through the world's purchasing power. And, you know, you say the, the theft of people's uh, savings and time. I think we're, we've exhausted about half of it at this point. So I think there's, they got about two more years of excavating of capital before you know, there's nothing left. So they, they would be able to sort of reset, relaunch and say, okay, here's the new 
shape of society. And so, you know, I bring this up because I don't think they have unlimited time to, to get each one of these mm-hmm. um, initiatives out there. They have to have each one out there enough um, that they have a good chance at, at um, like Mark said, extending the fiat experiment, right? Because the whole idea is let's not end the fiat experiment. Let's not have it be 1971 to 2030. Let's not, you know, we don't want that to be the fiat era. And now you have this era of the individual they want it to continue on a hundred years. I'm, curi- I'm curious, Laser, uh, what, how you think about this. Uh, one, you said, you know, we're kind of two years into this war. Um, I mean, I can't one. I mean, I kind of look at like World War Three as like maybe we're two years into World War Three, which is the the war of the uh, globalists versus the people kind of a thing. But um, you know, these technologies, so central bank digital currencies, the digital passports, digital IDs, etc. Um, you know, a lot of times people are like you know, how long can this go on for, you know, how long can the Fed or the central banks keep the money going? Obviously, the central banks are working a little bit differently. We see China cutting rates, ECB, Lagarde saying no way they're going to raise rates. And then the Fed's, you know, posturing them maybe to do something. But if you look at this debt crisis that we're in, and people are saying, will they let the markets crash? Will they prop them back up? What about inflation? A couple of things I think about. One, um, I think about that assumes a bias that you believe they want to save the markets. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So that's one. And ultimately I think I'm starting to think uh, that they only want to save the markets until they're ready for the switch. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so what is ready for the switch? Uh, as you said, there's like a couple different technologies and we're tracking the same things, but ultimately it's the CBDC. So it's like that is uh, ready in China um, we're at minimum of 12, probably more 24 months before it happens, you know, available in the U S yep. Europe, Europe, maybe the same time frame. So maybe this is, I mean, I hate to try to put time frames on things, but, um, probably, you know, 24 months out to try to kind of keep the game going until they're ready for the switch. I'm, sh- I'm curious what you're thinking there. Yeah. I mean, if, okay. If you think of it like a, um, frame it in startup terms. <laughs> so they have a two-year runway before they run out of our money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they run out of the world's money. And um, so they need to have a pivot ready and they need to have it within that constraint because they can't, you can't run the world long um, on, on, you know, if everyone's in, impoverished and they don't have a plan, that's, that's the recipe for a true collapse, the type of collapse they don't want, the type where um, uh, governments get toppled and they lose their power. Right. So, mm-hmm. so they want a controlled transition, a controlled chaos. Right. So they need to have um, uh, CBDCs out in beta, at least within two years. They need to have digital identity ro- well on its way, rolling out, which I think we're going to see this year. Um, they need to have um, uh, Internet passports and movement passports um, with mixed success. Uh, out there, out in the open and accepted to various degrees. Um, So I think they need all these tech in place by uh, 2024. And I think you're right. At some point, they're at the end of the runway. You can just pull it, you know, building seven style, and uh, you can just let it fall. Now, whether we melt up or or spiral down, it's the same difference in terms of um, what it means. It's just a fallout in belief of government money. Um, so when that happens, they need to have a new backing bucket prepared. And when they compose that backing bucket, it's going to have, um, I, I mean, like the problem they're running into is, uh, is a large percentage, a growing percentage of the world is um, 
is, a, a, you know, it's a useless feeder, they call it. It's, it's your, your, your consuming more than you produce. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, the money printing runs on growth. It, uh, and, and if you don't see the growth, you need a new story. Um, so, so this is where you get these kind of, um, uh, you will own nothing and be happy, right? So they're like, the new story is an old story. It's just an upgraded version of communism, right? So you need a surf class. That's the only centralized, that's the only centralized answer to that. So I think around 2024, you know, you would expect them to no longer kick the can down the road right? No longer try and keep the system going. And that can act as a really great catalyst to, um, all you have to do is promise deliverance into the new system, open the gates and people rush in, right? And so um, I, I think that that's what they're going to have to do. Um, whether or not they can do it is, is hard to say, but I think in terms of, you know, in the startup analogy, in terms of runway, there, you know, historically speaking, you have about four years before you run out of the world's wealth, um, in wartime spending. So I, how do you calculate you know, four years? I'm curious how you calculate the world running out of the world's wealth. I mean, we're already at zero or negative interest rates. Most of the world, the mon- you know, we added $20 trillion of debt in the last four years. I'm just curious. Yeah, there's, 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 there's capital. So, so in order to produce, in order to introduce credit, there still needs to be productivity going on, but see productivity starting to break down. So there's less and less productivity, more and more need, um, more and more dependence. And, and I'm just shooting uh, from the hip, Mark. I'm yeah, just shooting yeah, from yeah. The okay, hip. got it, got it. Yeah, yeah. it's not. Yeah, yeah just, just how much longer they keep going for. It seems like, uh, you know, they're posturing. Uh, I read, I know later you, and we're all looking at the same things um, in the cyber attack, right, that they keep talking about and the rhetoric's ramping up. And I read, um, you know, they ran the, the, the whatever cyber attack 201, like they did with the, with the pandemic before. And I read the, uh, what they came up with and what their game plan was. And what they said specifically was they said um, that the financial system would be attacked yep. and they would have to, <laughs> what they said was literally quoting a bank holiday. So, yep. <laughs> um, you know, and that's what happened in the last great reset. I mean, go back to, you know, act 6102 and they, when they took all the gold, right. So, uh, they shut the banks down for a week. So if there was a cyber pandemic that happened, um, everything got hacked. It forced the whole system to shut down. They had to temporarily pause it for a week. And now in order to get it re-going again, what we need to do is we need more security. So if everybody logs in with this new digital ID and will replenish their account with these central bank digital currencies, boom, we got the new system kind of going again. You know, um, but, holiday really is the right word. You know, if, if That's the word they are- used. If, if bailouts are what you get in the short debt cycle, then holiday is the correct word for for war and and the bailing out of of the nation state. You know, you you bail out corporations in in the short debt cycle. You bail out the nation state in the long debt cycle, and they use everyone's um, life savings to do that. And you know, war is it's a, it's a um, an obedience device because it gets us all traumatized and and crunched. You know, crouched under the state waiting for orders. Um, but it's it's also a boon to insiders, right? It's a, it's a huge. It's like a stimulus. Uh, uh, it, you kick off these 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 highly monopolistic industries. So in World War II, you know, the whole pro- food factory and processed food all came out of World War. It came out of, mm-hmm. uh, um, and, and so like you know, you see like Bill Gates lining up with his farms. Like, is he waiting for? Um, you know, a monopoly on soy food and, 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 and high margin synthetics, right? So you, so you could see that these, 
insiders kind of see that there's going to be a a boom in terms of uh, of industry soon, and where is that going to come from when we're all locked down, right? <laughs> where you know, um, so so you know, it's it's I I maintain that war is a policy device, um, and and I you know I I think with especially with nuclear proliferation um, that. Info war is preferred. I really do think they're aiming, you know, if we get a, a war with um, like Russia, I, I think the war won't be very real. I think the war will be kind of fake. The measures will be real. The measures will be extremely real. You'll get lockdowns. You'll probably have digital lockdowns. Um, so, so, so um, and, 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 you know, if they have a skirmish or this or that, like the thing to, to realize is even World War one and two, the actual footprint in terms of blast radius is a lot smaller than people realize. It's the dramatization is, is global. The, it enters everybody's lives and the fear enters everybody's lives and you get these new industries created and your life is put on pause while your life savings is used to bail out the nation state. And, and like, I, I see no reason why they wouldn't reach for that measure again, but of course an information war is useful um, in that it, it actually brings costs down and it, and it extends and it, it increases the, the um, uh, like how efficacious it is. You know, in, in the same way that like this social scoring governance that you see in China, like the funny thing is, is their government's much leaner because of that. And they have far more control over their people. So like it's, it's, you need less boots on the ground and you can control people's lives far better. You, in a way, it kind of just replaces the judiciary system, right? The, the, the laws on paper fade away because everyone um, becomes loyal to this, their social score. That becomes your God. Um, and so, you know, I, to me, this is all, all signs are pointing towards the West sees that and it likes that. <laughs> um, it needs unbelievable amounts of central controls to extend the fiat system. Um, so including things like um, expiring money. So you don't have, because right now it's very obtrusive. A bank holiday is obtrusive. Pausing everything is obtrusive. Even the debt cycle is obtrusive. So if they could put in the controls that would make it where you're bailing people out your whole life, as opposed to a few, you know, uh, in, in these in-between places between the cycles, you know, where your money, it, where, you, where you earn money, but it doesn't, you know, you're forced to spend it. Um, uh, you know, this, these type of primitives, um, if they eliminate the, the, um, the wholesale and retail circuit in the monetary system, and you just have an account with the central bank directly, like think about what that means in terms of extending the fiat cycle. So I think they're bullish and stoked to kind of move the world into that model and see what that does in terms of smoothing out these cycles. Let me just put it that way. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, a bunch of ruins in uh, Europe and Britain would like to word with you about the small footprint laser. <laughs> um, so it sure seems like you're take on us having until 2030 is changing here because this all seems like more of a 2024 2025 window you're looking at uh, i've always maintained that peak peak reset had to be like kind of mid mid in between 2020 and 2030 and i i kind of said 2024 to 2026 is when i originally thought it was going to be and and then what they'll do is is so the gates will open at peak and then they'll try and be fully launched um, and sort of like let the sheep back out of the pen 
um, and back into society by 2030. So like, okay, so you can imagine people finally back to normal in 2030, except now you're living in a social scoring technocracy where the I, emphasis uh, on, on the judiciary is, is kind of falling away and then they're, bring, they're normalizing social score engineering as opposed to um, passing laws. I, 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 I look at the same time frame. I've kind of, through, through my cycles analysis, I've kind of put the same time frame as peak as laser in that you know 2024. I, I just kind of call it 2025, but yeah, 2024, 26 kind of range. Um, the difference is I think by the end of the decade, um, they've lost a massive amount of relevance. And uh, I'm with Mark. <laughs> so we, we have, we have mass, I, I would agree things continue to get worse for the next, you know, three to five years. Uh, I think we'll hit peak, but at that point, the pendulum is maxed out. It's swinging back. Um, they won't have AI ready. They won't have these technologies okay. ready. They won't have any more wealth or debt to do um, the trust. As we've talked about earlier on, the trust piece is, is a really big piece. Um, Ludwig von Mises talked about this in the crack up boom. He said, quote, but then finally the masses wake up. They become suddenly aware of the fact that inflation is a deliberate policy and will go on endlessly and a breakdown occurs. That's what he said. And so that's what happens. And so uh, the, just like uh, the Protestant reformation, you know, 70 years before the, the printing press turned the tide of that and the churches would kill people if they spoke out on heresy, but it didn't matter. No matter how many people that killed, it was just the cat was out of the bag. Uh, the internet, you know, 30, 40 years before this did kind of the same thing. And so anyway, I'm, I'm with you on the 2025. I think after that, the pin, it's, it's too late. No more debt, no more credit. Uh, they're going to try. Don't get me wrong. It's not like they're gone. And by, by the end of the decade, they're still there. The dollar's still there, in my opinion. It's just much less relevant. Uh, most of the people have moved on past it. Um, and they're in a pretty fast uh, rate of decline, be my opinion. I was talking to a very well-known macro investor. I'm not going to name him, but uh, last week we talked for about two hours. And uh, he called this, it was very interesting. I just hadn't thought about it this way. But he said, we're going into a blow-off top of socialism. So we thought, you know, socialism kind of died with Russia, the fall of the Berlin Wall, et cetera. But he said it didn't, right? So uh, to the point, like, I don't want to, the people have continued to put more stuff on the nanny state. Like, I don't want to deal with healthcare, so the government pick up healthcare. I don't want to pick up education, so that the government pick up education. And uh, just like any financial market, you know, dot com boom or 2017 Bitcoin or whatever. But uh, uh, as you go into this uh, parabolic run, it starts sucking in everything. And then it goes into this blow off top and, uh, a blow off top of socialism. Thought it was uh, pretty interesting, and that's that's probably what I would agree with. And maybe and and maybe put that around a twenty twenty five range. That's brilliant. You know, I I I I had first thought that it would be like a Bitcoin versus the fourth industrial revolution. That either Bitcoin would win or they would win. And of course, I, I was betting on Bitcoin because to bet on Bitcoin is to bet on humanity, and to to, to do anything else at this point, I think, is uh, more morally dangerous. Um, but, but I started to wonder that, you know, can communism operate within a closed loop system, right? If you put, if you made an island and you had a communism and, and, and they had enough resources to su supply themselves, could you run a closed loop communist system? And I think you could. I think the problem is um, because communism is two tiered, the, you're not able to, and it operates in the context of a global economy, you're not able to insulate it from capitalism. And so capitalism always unwinds communism. Um, or, or, or that's a nice way of saying communism collapses due to broader competition 
um, and, and because it's not able to compete. Um, but I, I think I think that nah. I think it's big, it's bigger than that. The problem is not it's not the competition, it, which is a big piece. That's why China had to kind of relax, and obviously the USSR fell. But the bigger piece is creativity. So the bigger piece is that with open and free communication and free exchange of ideas, we have created creativity, which creates new solutions to problems. And so wealth is always goods and services. And so what we've seen, even with China trying to open up and be, be more free, they don't have the creativity. So they have to steal, you know, the USIP. So even in a closed system, how would they have any creativity to, to, yeah, to create? Well, yeah, the, they, they starve starvation before. Well, yeah, with with enough enough zero. With enough serfs, do you think they can launch the Great Reset even as Bitcoin is failing? Or excuse me, even as Bitcoin is rising, is succeeding, is becoming the global money? Do you think that with enough people that have the attitude of like, listen, just support me, do you think they can actually launch these mega cities that they describe? Kind of like no. the Beijings of the West? No, no, no. I, see, see, I would actually counter with the fact that communism has only succeeded insofar as it had a relationship with the natural force of capitalism, right? So wealth has to be created and produced somewhere, and then in 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 a vacuum of um in a vacuum of capitalism, communism kind of dies under its own weight very quickly because it's a it's a it's a tyranny of the lowest common denominator. It is it it spirals downwards, and it it is entropic. So it it fucking eliminates itself. Um, the only reason China's here is because. The U.S. was prosperous beforehand. That productivity had to come somewhere. And kind of like what you said before is credit creation needs growth to support it. And you can't continue to fake the growth. So, so there has to be some real growth underneath it. Um, and that like growth is literally uh, a function of the natural capitalist so, uh, force, right? So the, the fiat era tends towards misery. And the mm -hmm. Bitcoin era tends towards flourishing. Prosperity. That's going to create a feedback loop that attracts all the productive. Totally, totally, it. totally. It fucking crunches. So, so my, my timelines are actually, so again, very similar to you guys, overlaps. Uh, this decade is the clown world decade and the peak clown world somewhere between 2024, 5, 6, somewhere in that range. But th this is sort of like the 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 rebirth, the, the, the burnout, the phoenixing decade. The next decade, 2030 to 2040, is the foundation decade. That's when the transition onto a Bitcoin standard occurs. And then 2040 to 2050 and beyond is the, um, the new exponential decade. And, and in my mind, this is why like, I, I'm adamant Bitcoin breaks all the cycles as well. Like Everything that's come before Bitcoin is going to be different than everything that comes after. But that's kind of, in my mind, that's the frame. So we, we've just got to get through the fucking shitstorm because this, this is the clown world period. This is the, the simultaneous, this is the crux of all of the creative destruction that will come from having confused the, the territory for the fucking map this entire time. And, and, and that's where we are. I think Joel, you were going to say before. Yeah, I think even if Bitcoin didn't exist, Laser, it would still implode because it's just a race to zero where what they're trying to do is impossible. Yeah, but I, so, so, so to that point, though, is the implosion this time would likely wipe us out. I agree. Now, Laser, this is my concern with the volatility because, like, we tend to talk about this as if it's a foolish path and it's not going to work. And so, like, we can just hunker down and survive. So, like, they're going to try to use this UBI in fear to hurt us into obedience and submitting to this thing, right? 
I don't plan on submitting. I mean, I'm going to place my bet on the rise of the sovereign individuals who are capable of actually expanding its humanity and not falling slave and prey to the system, right? But they're going to try to do this. The sheep are going to flood to it in droves because that's what the sheep do. And it's going to implode. It's going to just utterly volatility, violently implode. Mm -hmm. And when it does, the government, whatever entities are out there like cartels, the mobs, it's going to be fucking chaos. Mm-hmm. Those of us who opt out of submitting to this idolatry of this UBI system, they're going to try to turn us into a sphere and place the bet on ourselves and our communities are going to have to be fucking ready because it's going to be like an absolute tidal wave that washes out and tries to suck everything out to see with it. And the humanity is going to struggle to try to survive it. We don't have time to sit back on our laurels and just say like, I'm going to wait for it to fizzle out. And then I'm going to build a better world. No, you need to get secure before that tidal wave fucking hits. That way we can be a foundation stone to rebirth humanity from on the flip side, because yeah. if we don't, this implosion might take even the free individuals down with it. Yeah, so Bitcoin won't be enough. Like, if, you know, if, okay, if you have, if you have Bitcoin, but um, you don't have a, you haven't jump started the flourishing engine, so that you can share flourishing with people who want to leave the fiat era and join and and help create a bigger pie. That pie has to have been started, <laughs> because if you just have Bitcoin and you let society collapse and you don't have goods and services, you have nothing. Um, because Bitcoin holds holds the sacrifice of everyone, and if you destroyed the sacrifice, then what are you holding? You know, you're holding nothing. So, um, so uh, you know, I think for this to work is I envision um, this decade is a decade of high volatility and many psyops because the psyops are the things that trick us into saying, oh, why do we have all these separate teams? Let's let's reduce the teams down to one team for humanity, right? So you get the the COVID PSYOP, it's like, oh, too many teams, we can't coordinate, let's make one team. Okay, you get the, you know, cyber terrorism, oh, geez, we have all these countries, we can't coordinate, let's make one central team, as, you know, one regime, regime for internet. Um, and on and on, you could do it with, you know, weather, okay, you, you, you have a big weather event, and suddenly people are terrified about the end of the world, and we need a, a global regime for managing energy use, right? Um, to me, I view that as, okay, there's a risk radiant, there's no absolutes, but, you know, Bitcoin's kind of teaching us how you would move your time down the risk radiant, apply this asymmetric defense to your time and sacrifice. We could do that in other areas. You could, you could, you could move, you can get off all the mainstream big tech stuff and move to like open privacy respecting platforms, move your communication and okay, so you could move way down the risk gradient uh, gradient where the cost to actually get at that and bring hell to to your door goes way up. And the same thing, you get out of the cities, the cost goes up. So to my mind, um, there's kind of the opt out factor, you get Bitcoiners that see this shitstorm coming, they've kind of already left the fiat system They, you know, like you said that the agenda is dumb and destined to fail. So it's it, you might as well start kicking ass in the Bitcoin era because when things really fall apart, what you want to be doing is kicking ass so that people are attracted towards you for the right reasons and say, hey, let me get in there and help grow this pie. Um, that's the glass half full view. I mean, I think, and but at the same time, um, don't be naive, right? Don't be naive because, um, 
you know, um, uh, desperation does breed, uh, uh, you know, a danger and crime. And, and so you want to be in a place that you can defend your dignity and, and, and stay as equals to people that come at you um, with desperation. And, and, and at the same time, there's a, there's a room for charity within desperation. That's how you grow the pie. So I think it's going to take strong, virtuous men to navigate this um, um, gener- this decade correctly. But I, I think that's the, the, the fundamental way to think about it is move down the risk gradient digitally, physically, monetarily, mm-hmm. start building that flourishing pie and, and with a mind towards that is the wealth. Bitcoin is, is how we represent our time, but the wealth is that pie. So we should start baking that pie now. <laughs> really well and put. I 100% agree. But there's also the other danger of like what you're saying, this is just the decade of psyops. There's be another layer to this where there's going to be the awakening momentum of this decentralized revolution of the bestow or awakening of the power and the sovereign individuals again, right? And what's going to attempt to happen, what they're going to try to do is be out there talking really loudly about the problem yep. and cornering the network effects of whatever community or narrative arises around said problems. And it's going to take a very savvy group of people to understand the depth to which that's going to be happening, to not fall sway into joining tribes that are going to get channeled towards half-baked solutions that get you taken down in the tidal wave with it. You have to truly, truly, truly stay connected to your first principles. That way, you don't get deceived by the energy of this false sense of safety by all the people joining these mobs. You have to really, really be discerning and cognizant of what the truth is that you're setting your anchor onto. Yeah. I I heard a, I heard a quote on Twitter and I I, I don't know who to attribute it to, but they said something to the effect that uh, to win a war, you uh, should aim at surviving it. Um, And I think that, uh, that, that says something like, to a certain degree, you need like tact and finesse um, and understand that like, um, well, in reset, like attention is, is it, it, the value proposition on intention, on attention inverts, right? Like in good times, you want attention because you're, you're trying to attract a broad market. But in, in, in volatile times, you don't know what attention brings you. So I think mm-hmm. it's just... Um, as it relates to building, you want to be able to build in confidence, and that means network with that in mind. So, you know, I think the number one thing is, is not just do you have wealth and do you have chickens and do you have, you know, it's actually community in these times. And so um, you have to build, you, you have to sort of bet on humanity and expand your tribe more than you would in good times. And you have to build that shared vision that like, look, we're here to build that that flourishing pie. We want to get a head start. We want to start kicking ass in the Bitcoin era, but we understand that there's going to be, um, a, a, you know, a, a a blow off top of socialism. There's going to be a, a misery peak, and that's going to bring a lot of volatility. So let's be wise. Let's be smart in how we start. Because if we're building in the new era now, like you said, that makes you an easy scapegoat politically. So uh, you know, I. There's, there's no one size fit, fits all answer, but I think is don't be naive to that fact is number one, right? It, 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 this, 
that is the first thing you have to do if you're going to start building in the Bitcoin era now. You know, you see these people, they do like these overt citadel, these little cities where they're like, you know, they're, they're having people like um, start tiny little towns, right? And they do it in this overt way. And sure, sure, shit, you see them get like raided by feds and stuff because they attract all this attention. They're not, they're not thinking way off on the horizon. They're not being very smart about it. And, and, and so, you know, I, even I look at like El Salvador and I wonder, it's like, yes, there, there has to be someone with, who's brave and flaunts the, the, the global order, the mon but I also worry for, um, uh, I, I always butcher his name, Bukele, correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. Yeah, Bukele. Oh, I got it. So I, yeah, I worry about, yes, courage is contagious and we need to, to um, and that's good. You want to like light a fire in everyone's hearts, make them excited about the Bitcoin era. But at the same time, like um, the, the Great Reset doesn't need our help failing. Um, communism is born to fail. Um, and, and misery does have a blast radius that's pretty broad. And I don't know what to say about that other than let's not be naive about that. I want to add I mean, on to that what what both uh, Joel and Laser just said. And I think back, uh, you know, when looking at some of the writings of uh, Havel and Solzhenitsev and like how the USSR fell and then kind of in context of what's going on today, it's like um, they talk about living in the truth. And so like mainstream media wants us to live a lie. Like uh, I, I had to leave Puerto Rico because they put a whole uh, mandate in effect. And um, several of my friends over there are like, no, nah, like just use the fake paper, you know? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to live in the lie. And even having to wear a mask or whatever, we could argue is living the lie, whatever. And so they talk about in their writings, like all it takes is for one person to break through the crust and to live in the truth. And then people see that. And so like we want to be building and preparing for ourselves for that future, but also so we can like be an example and bring other people along. And then I was also thinking about I um, sneak peek. Well, probably by the time this podcast is out, um, I just wrote a piece that's going up for uh, Bitcoin magazine. And I was basically talking about how the this, you know, mass formation psychosis that's been getting a lot of press. Um one, right, people have to uh, be disconnected and no purpose and uh, untethered anxiety. But how do we get out of it? And we get out of it by bringing people together, um, <clears throat> living in the truth, showing them the truth. But most importantly, the main thing is we can't say, no, everybody hold the line. Don't go over there, right? Because those people aren't happy with where they're at today, which is why they're so inclined to follow someone to some new place. So what we have to do is we have to say, don't stay where you are and don't go where they want to go. Here's a better option. And so I think that's really key as this great reset it continues to, to progress, the, the mass formation, et cetera, is by living in the truth, being an example, but also showing people a better option. You know, it's the, it's the fake monetary policy that's caused all these distortions, all these problems in the market. And here, the sound money system is a better way to go. Um, and I think if we continue to do that, I think, you know, the, the future is, is much brighter. You know, um, yep. one example, like in practice, you know, I, I mentioned moving down the risk gradient. So even if they do this cyber pandemic thing and they, let's say they shut off the, the banking system or the internet for, it won't have to be long. It's just enough to create the hysteria loop. Call it 40 hours, 48 hours, right? Enough that most people survive, but there's this really intense hysteria loop that they could drive for years, right? Just like with COVID. Um, the thing is, is that, Okay, so if the end goal is internet passports, 
when I talk about moving down the risk rating, who is going to adopt internet passports first? It's going to be the big tech companies that are smooched up next to the government. So you're going to have like your Facebooks and your Twitters and your Gmails and maybe the biggest ISPs, right? And, and your Android and, and iPhone. Like these are the people that are do it. So like if you want to work on the, the next era, you want to live in the truth, you just move down away from that. It raises the, the cost of getting at you because then you're not distracted. You can actually, um, like, a, like a craftsman, focus on your mission, uh, create that flourishing engine, live in the truth. You don't have to live in the lie. If you're living in big tech, it's going to be like living in a COVID city next year, mm-hmm. right? It's going to be like living in New York City. <laughs> you know, you're just living the lie because you're, you know, you're stuck in digital lockdown. Yeah, because you have to, not because you want to. Joel, were you going to say something? Yeah, so laser i would say really simply it's like the whole scripture be as cunning as serpents as innocent as doves or sun suit know yourself know your enemy most people are grossly underestimating like there's just they're not seeing it with clear eyes they're underestimating the power and motivation of the opposition and they're overestimating their own capabilities to maneuver around it and resist it you have to see that very very clearly at which is where so you can know how to make good decisions as you maneuver. I mean, I believe we do need to be pulling together community of people standing together. We need to be doing it early enough that we have some strength and not get knocked over by the tidal waves. But we have to do it in a way where we're cognizant with eyes wide open of the entire field strategically in front of us. Uh, Blockstream, by the way, they added right ability to their satellite product, which is absolutely critical. Fucking cool. Um, this, this means that the ability to give the Bitcoin global network split brain, it, 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 as a function, that starts going down uh, at the same time as adoption of the satellite product by miners goes up. It just becomes harder and harder to, to disrupt the continuity of the Bitcoin network. We still have gaps. Like you still need people to to geek out on like um, MeshNet. So we still need like examples and, and prototypes of like uh, like a, a like a Bitcoin off grid localism. But but you know when we last talked, you know if if they cut the internet backbone like the uh, the bit the, the massive fiber wire uh, um, tunnels between the oceans, if they just like flipped the switch on that and said that was the cyber pandemic, Bitcoin you wouldn't be able to settle anymore. Um, or, or you would have split brains, so you would have two Bitcoins and then the longest one would win. And so the best thing would be that everyone stopped settling because you would kind of know, oh, eventually they'll reconnect that and we'll be able to settle again. Um, but what the satellite product does is now you actually have to do two things. You have to cut the internet uh, backbone and you have to actually go attack <laughs> or do denial of service through airwaves of these satellites. And so that, that's a massive deal that it just kind of proves the the anti you know fragility of, of Bitcoin that like as these attack vectors start to emerge, people who who want um, Bitcoin to succeed start looking at that and it becomes more tougher and tougher. Um, at the same time, there's a naivete because people in Bitcoin right now, you know, I know I, I have zero dollars, so I'm all in Bitcoin, but I, I'm not shitting myself that this decade like. Um, we haven't fully broken away from the, the, the monetary order, right? Like if, if everything, um, if we have a spiral up or down, I, I, don't, I don't believe for a second that Bitcoin won't at least start following, by following that. I think, it, you know, it's, it's, we're not untethered fully. 
Um, but I, I think it's, it's, it's like a, you know, I, I look out and say like, okay, in tw at this rate in 2030, will we actually be prepared to run sans monetary system, sans Western order? And I'm kind of like, yeah, actually, I could see that. I could see little off-grid um, localist uh, uh, light, lightning uh, villages, you could call it. I could see guerrilla mining happening. I could see mining happening in homes. I could see satellite connectivity. Like you start to see the shape of like this truly unstoppable monetary network that, you know, even if you did EMPs um, in low orbit, like regularly, you couldn't, you couldn't keep it all off. Um, so like for, for me, it's like, you know, not only does the Great Reset not need our help falling apart, but like Bitcoin just block at a time is really it really is birthing this energy money needed for us to cross through the great filter. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard, you know, it's funny. We could talk about this conversation and I don't detect an ounce of pessimism in this room. <laughs> We're talking about like some pretty dark stuff. And all I hear is, is, you know, uh, you know, fairly calm, <laughs> calm. Yeah. We're going to make it a calm, cool. We're going to make it. Um, T totally. I wanted to, um, Guys, I think we've almost been gone for two and a half hours. So I, I wanted to sort of bring this to a close. And it's it's funny, we ended up naturally kind of taking it towards um, a more optimistic end and a discussion around, you know, what we need to do um, and things that people should focus on. And that this is, I, I always call it like the, the lead bullet approach instead of the silver bullet approach. There's never one thing. It's always a, it's a mixture of things. Now, mind you, Bitcoin forms like the backbone um, of you know, this whole movement back to humanity, but a backbone alone is useless if you don't have, you know, all of the, um, the extremities. So um, I, I, I did want to pull one anecdote, which we we're talking about, like, if we don't run these uh, parallel uh, processes of becoming sovereign um, and building locality and building anti-fragility, you know, in your, in your vicinity, in your domain, um, you know, Bitcoin will end up representing nothing because we have nothing left. So, so good, a good mental model for everyone listening to this podcast is think of like if Bitcoin basically or, or, or money, which is what Bitcoin is, perfect money represents uh, everything there is divided by 21 million. If everything there is, is nothing, then it's zero divided by 21 million. So Bitcoin's worth nothing. <laughs> so, so in that sense, like we, we've got to, do our best whilst claiming territory on the Bitcoin network, because that will give you your uh, proportional measure to the rest of the network. So, so that's what you own. Um, but there needs to be something underlying that the Bitcoin uh, is related to. Right. So if this shit show gets really, 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 really bad, um, there might be nothing left on the outs on the other end. Like that, that's the worst case scenario. Obviously, um, the best case scenario is that we can transform as much as possible of the existing wealth um, onto a better standard without fucking destroying everything, without basically strip mining the rest of the capital. Um, you know, and 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 the question is, it's like it's not does Bitcoin win? It's how much of the capital that humanity has built to date remains after the shit show clown world uh, implodes in on itself. And that's really the question. So if we can build as much as possible around that so that we can catch 
as much of that, then fucking fantastic. If we don't do anything, if we'll just sit here and fucking trade, um, we're fucked. So, so I think that to everyone's point here is like extraordinarily important. Um, so that, that would be how I would like to wrap it up. I'd like to give some, you know, closing remarks to each of you guys. Um, and then we'll go through and tell everyone where they can find you. I wholeheartedly agree with that. So many people are focusing so hard on the 21 million. They're forgetting the everything portion. Yeah. Um, the best thing I have to like help everybody get their heads around understanding how do you build in the middle of the storm would be go and look up that little 40 minute talk I did at Mark Moss's event down in Miami a couple months ago. That was the most concise overview I've put together or really seen anybody put together the best way to handle the storm to get the building. People that are fearful of what a collapse entails. I mean, if you look at history, one thing humanity is very good at is is um, refashioning their own government when the misery gets too high. So I think that that's baked into our species. When you leave a uh, man alone, he tends to get to work, um, and I don't think that that's going anywhere. Um, so I, you know, I think one way or another, we're going to get left alone. Um, it's just, uh, you know, the easy way or the hard way. I think the easy way is preferred. That's that's with Bitcoin and flourishing. The hard way is people say no. Um, and when enough people say no, you you have a new government. And, uh, you know, I think we're, you know, I, I want to bet on the easy way. I want to kind of orient my actions towards that. But I want to prepare for the hard way. And, um, I, you know, following people like uh, Joel, like, like, like Mark and Svetsky here is useful because it helps me keep perspective um and uh and, and so like none of us here are pessimistic we're very optimistic but we have our eyes open and, and we know that this this decade is about being nimble and navigating it and staying alert but also focusing on focusing on the bitcoin era you you know what i mean like don't don't wait don't wait for someone to make Bitcoin legal tender. You can actually start thinking about who, what is your, what, who are you going to be in the Bitcoin era and start getting on that now. Um, that's how you're going to help bake that flourishing pie that, that will attract humanity when, it, when it's most needed. And okay. I'm on Twitter, Laser Hoddle. People, people know me. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, at least on this podcast, for sure. Do <laughs> you want to say something, Joel? Yeah, because sitting back and waiting is still that slave mentality. What you have to do is start thinking like a sovereign. You need to start securing your dependencies and figuring out what do you need to actually lean forward into the hyper-Bitcoinized self of the value creation you're going to do in the world and start strategically figuring out how do I start building during the storm. Get rid of that slave mentality because that's what's going to be used to drive you towards this golden calf of an idol of UBI when you're scared of you're going to survive because you give yourself to us. Don't mm. wait, start securing it now. Yeah. Um, I would say, uh, laser, I was saying everyone on listening to Svetsky's podcast for sure knows who you are, but you've been on quite the tour, uh, spreading this message, which is, um, both uh it's encouraging because one it shows the appetite for this type of information but uh, you continue to kind of sharpen your own game when you you know spar on these ideas so uh i love listening to you You're doing good work on that so keep spreading the signal for sure what i would say um bigger than that though is that um all of us spend a lot of time thinking about these topics talking about these topics um more than most 
for sure. And uh, talk to other people that also as do as well. And so uh, we're anything but naive. Um, maybe someone might argue we are overly uh, overly optimistic about what Bitcoin can do, but definitely not naive. And we, we see what's going on, uh, both from uh, you know from what's happening today, but also from a greater context of you know his, history and whatnot. And so the fact that we're all uh, optimistic, I think, is something that most people should should walk away with. Um, I would say that without um, you know, the amount of time and effort, energy, education that has has to go into understanding these different topics in history. Um, you maybe don't understand everything, but I just feel, uh, I believe from the education that I've had, from what I've observed that um, when you look at the way that, when you look at human nature, right? And as uh, Svetsky mentioned earlier, um, you know, all of Keynesian economics and World Economic Forum is, and socialism discounts the human nature part, but what you can't, you can't discount human nature and you can't discount natural law either. And when you look at that, and then you look at the way that uh, humans organize, uh, and then over time, how technology changes things, uh, I think it just seems abundantly clear to me that, um, the world is decentralizing. The technology is here to do that. The internet obviously was the piece of that. Bitcoin is the is the final piece of that. Um, the world is decentralizing. What we consider value, how we store wealth, how we move, transfer wealth has changed. And um, it just has just massive implications for the way the world organizes and moves moving further. And so <clears throat> I think just like the Protestant Reformation, no matter how much the state tries to centralize their control, even with as draconian measures as they did in Protestant Reformation of literally killing people, they couldn't stop it. And I just believe the future being decentralized, people being free is inevitable. Um, I believe Bitcoin's a big piece of that, but even if it wasn't, we would find another way. Um, and so I have hope, but that's not to say, as Laser said, I mean, that's not to say that the that it, it's it's all roses from here on out. I, I actually think the next couple of years gets worse. And so we need to be prepared for that. We have to think through that. We have to plan and build for that, um, help other people live the truth. And then, you know, the future is bright. Beautifully said. Gentlemen, I want to thank the three of you for coming on this episode it's been another another fantastic chat um i was thinking maybe it would go 90 minutes maybe two hours but we fucking almost nailed three hours so thank thank you all for coming on um i really appreciate it i will be putting all your stuff in the show notes of course um i look forward to doing a third version of this you know maybe six months from now uh, maybe a year from now who knows um you know, maybe right around like the acceleration phase of the clown world simulation, we will see. Um, but, you know, as you all noted, I mean, more, more than anything, and it's like, you know, I think of hope as in some ways, like, you know, what uh, the architect says on um, in the matrix, it's, you know, simultaneously, you know, our greatest folly and the source of our greatest strength, like, you know, hope in its shadow form is this kind of waiting for someone else to do something for you. Whereas hope in the sovereign individual, the Bitcoin sense is the, is kind of like a flavor of, or a color of faith. It's like bringing forth that which seems impossible, but, you know, with people like us, um, that's exactly what you know how hope manifests so yeah once again thank you all for taking time out for this it really means a lot